Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, Gypsy Gang? Today, our podcast is with last year's 250 West Coast champ, Christian Craig. Been wanting to do the potty with him for a little while. Kind of funny how it all sort of went out, uh, went down as well. First got a message from Christian's lovely wife, Paige. Uh, they kind of got this whole ball rolling, and this was honestly an epic podcast. Christian is an awesome guy, um, and it's really cool to to just be able to hear in depth what he's been through over his career. He's had an extremely unique career, um, was highly touted out of amateurs, and then just didn't really kind of materialize the first few years of his career. Um, he also goes into some stuff about his dad, Mike Craig, who was a uh, famous Supercross rider, uh, Earl, well, I got obviously kind of before Christian was born. Some of the struggles that they had uh, taking two years off racing to then be signed to Geico uh, and then eventually to Star Racing and winning a title for Star. And now he has just embarked on his 450 career with a two-year deal uh, at Husky. So this is a jam-packed podcast. We actually had some technical issues as well for the last uh, little bit of this one. So apologies to Christian. He dealt with it like an absolute legend. Uh, but it was kind of stop-start for the last little bit here so we've tried to fix it up as as much as we can um but yeah once again thanks so much to christian for sticking that one out with us also you can head to gypsytales.com that's our membership website this podcast has been up there for over a week now um so you know if you run run low on gypsy tales if you're all caught up then uh that's where you need to go to get the podcast pretty much the same day as we record them it takes us between like four days and a week to get all the video edited and the ads done and all the social media and all the stuff. So we basically bypass that whole process and just put the full shows straight on our members feed. Um, so you get them the same day if you have signed up to uh, com. That's it for me. Uh, I will just get some messages from some of our other sponsors and then we are right into this episode just going to give you an announcement of a new sponsor uh, that I actually chased down uh, to get them on the podcast and that was because I really wanted to start using their products again so to welcome Athletic Greens to the podcast now if you've been following the podcast recently you would know that we're on a massive health kick uh, as we get ready to take on World Vets at Glen Helen in November of 2023. Athletic Greens is not only an all-in-one formula that helps me just cover all my nutritional bases, uh, it's also the first healthy habit that I have uh, that starts every single day. 
before my morning coffee, uh, I get up in the morning, my partner and I mix our athletic greens uh, and kickstart the day with AG1. The team at Athletic Greens were so serious about their product uh, that they actually wouldn't let me do the ad read until I'd been on the product for about a month. Uh, and I'm really glad that that was the case because in this time, I feel like I've definitely seen some improvements. I have been struggling a little bit in the lead up to getting back on AG1 uh, and I've definitely noticed a significant increase, uh, I guess, just in the feeling of my overall gut health. Uh, as far as my partner goes, um, she has said that she's noticed a significant improvement uh, in the condition of her skin uh, and her and other females can have uh, some issues with their skin uh, as their hormones fluctuate throughout the month. At the end of the day, AG1 is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients of the highest quality that are able to offer gut health support, mood support, can affect your energy each day, and contribute to overall healthier looking hair and skin. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. That's athleticgreens.com slash gypsytales. Uh, now, this is not a promo code. You need to specifically follow this link, uh, and that is going to attach your free one-year supply of vitamin D and those five free travel packs. Thank you to the team at Athletic Greens. We're excited to have you on board. We are also brought to you by the team at Manscaped. And newsflash, gentlemen, Valentine's Day is almost here. And by the grace of Cupid, our friends at Manscaped are coming with the best tools to get your boys downstairs ready for the special occasion. I'd like to propose making February 13th National Shave Your Balls Day. Who's with me? Get lucky this V-Day and join the 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped the leaders in below-the-waist grooming with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code GYPSYGANG for 20% off plus free shipping. It's kind of funny. There's a famous story in our household of my dad giving my mum motocross boots in his size for Valentine's Day. And uh, it always resonated with me. I was like, you know what, Pete? Good call. Happy man. Uh, happy life, I guess. You know, just uh, something about giving a gift for yourself that makes you feel good so you can make your partner feel good. And I think that's kind of the same vibe here, you know. Get yourself the Manscaped kit, shave your nuts, and then you're going to make your missus happy. Um, so, look, I really think that um, I really think that there's some logic there. Now, the best way to do this would be the Platinum Package from Manscaped. It is the all-encompassing package that every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. Not just for you, but for your missus as well. The headliner in this package is the Lawnmower 4.0. The trimmer's advanced skin safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate parts, and it even has an LED spotlight so you can shave anywhere your heart desires. Did I mention that it is waterproof as well? This package also includes a weed whacker, nose, ear, and hair trimmer to whack all the worst of your weeds. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts their shed travel bag and their anti-chafing boxer briefs to keep. I've been running the travel bag uh, constantly since I've got it. And this is maybe one of the most handy parts of the kit. Uh, no platinum package is complete without the ultimate hygiene bundle to get, your, to get you fresh from head to toe. 
This bundle includes Manscaped's premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo, body and ball deodorant, and much more. Infused with aloe vera and sea salt, Manscaped body wash will leave your skin feeling clean, fresh, and hydrated all date night long. And don't forget, gents, no date night is complete without Manscaped's signature cologne that is guaranteed to put her in Cupid's chokehold. And you know I love a good chokehold. Your balls and lady will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. You heard me right. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code gypsygang. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Good luck, fellas. We're also brought to you by the guys at MX Store. You can head to mxstore.com.au for all your dirt bike parts and accessories needs. These guys are the biggest in Australia by far. Biggest and best, in my personal opinion. Uh, We collectively in the Gypsy Tales office probably do about eight trips to MX Store every single week, Uh, whether it's new tires, new chain lube, uh, air filters, like you name it, grips, bars, the whole deal. Uh, So the guys at MX Store have always come uh, come in clutch for us. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, they've come in clutch for you uh, at some point. If you order before 2 p.m., you get same-day shipping as well if you are not lucky enough to live close to their burly warehouse. That's mxstore.com.au. We're also brought to you by the Glove Lord and his lords and ladies uh, that run the awesome company that is Fist Handwear. Uh, you can head to fisthandwear.com. The code Gypsy Gang is going to get you 15% off as well. I don't wear anything else, and I haven't since pretty much the day Sammy started that company. I actually did, though, at one point in Bali when I didn't take any gear, and I got blisters really bad. So, yeah, I guess I have run non-fist gloves one time in 10 years, and I hated it. Won't be doing it ever again. Fisthandwear.com. We're also brought to you by the guys at Dixon Quality. You can head to dixonquality.com.au. Going to get the same discount there when you type in Gypsy Gang. Uh, Look, I know we're in summer, but they've got all sorts of stuff. They've got shorts, they've got socks, they've got tees, they've got it all. Um, And Rival Inc., they also have it all when it comes to any of the aesthetic needs of your dirt bike, whether that's jersey prints, whether you need stickers for the back of your truck, Maybe you're one of those guys that puts your Instagram handle on the back of your truck. Uh, you can get them from Rival Link. But what they really specialize in is the best graphics for your dirt bike. Uh, you've seen them on all of our builds. And you know that we love the guys at Rival. You can add to rivalincdesignco.com, use the code GYPSYGANG, and that is going to get you 15% off. We don't have a promo code for the guys at Tropical Auto Group, but if you call Kyle... He is going to hook you up if you're a member of the Gypsy Gang. If you buy a new or used vehicle off him, uh, he will be giving you not only a great deal on the car that you choose, but also a $500 gift voucher from the guys at MX Store. Kyle's a G. He's been supporting us for a really long time. Uh, We really appreciate the support, uh, and they are a fantastic company to deal with. That's it from me, guys. Thank you very much. I enjoyed this podcast. All right, we're rolling. Christian okay. Craig on Gypsy Tales, my boy. We're doing it. Yeah, finally, huh? It's uh, it's been some time coming. 
and uh, how this all worked out. I thought it was uh, pretty funny, but we're here now. Yeah, I'm excited to be on. So, Paige, your lovely wife, just kind of like threw you in the deep end. How? What, what did she say? Like, what did she say to you to tell you that you were coming on the podcast? Well, she like, so you kind of came about uh, last year with your race companion things. Like, uh, she would listen to you, and when I won A1, she listened to that. And she's like, oh, yeah, like that was cool. They said some cool things about you. Um, and then after a few months, she's like, why, why have you never been on that show? Like, do you have beef with him or like, does he not like you? Like, I, I'm just going to message him. I saw, I, I laughed about it. You know, I was like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, if he wants me on, he'll message me, you know, and I'm not going to ask him to come on the show. And uh, she actually did message you, <laughs> and, but, uh, that's her. That's how she, uh, yeah, that's how she runs things. She's she was straightforward, and next thing I know, we were uh, setting up a time to come on. So now I'm stoked, dude. No, it was, it was like funny. It was funny how it worked out because like you know you get like that bit of anxiety when you see like someone's message, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, yeah, the fuck is Peg Jack Craig messaging me for? Like, what have I said? Like, what have I done? Like, have I been a dickhead? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then no, nah, I was I was super bummed. It was just the timing worked out really good. Like, she messaged me as we were getting this new studio set up. So like, just the whole the whole doing it it was just tough for like a, a period of time but now we've just fully like everything's super dialed so it was actually like the perfect timing but dude i just feel sorry for you because you had to race jet so many times and it's just like it just is what it is like i have to cheer yeah. for jet openly like, <laughs> so, and yeah, i was like I, it, it was it was I cool like, it was yeah. really cool racing yeah i feel like you tiptoed around that well though like you didn't play such a huge favor with Jet. Like, yeah, Australia and all that, and, and you're going to favor that, but you tiptoed around it to where you, you made it seem like you were pulling for me too in a way. And I thought that was cool, you know, like the 2021 when it was me and him battling. Um, you said good things about me. You know, even when we had that thing at, uh, at Indy when we hit each other on the last corner, um, I had a lot – of uh, crazy messages that night. I had to turn off my social media. I remember <laughs> sitting in the, the hotel when that happened. I'm like, you know, I was fighting for a podium and I was trying to hold them off and it's racing. You know, we both went down and I had some crazy messages and literally my social media was shut off for the next three days. Like, I'm just like, geez, but I don't remember you ever saying anything crazy. And, and like I said, like you tiptoe around it good. Like, yeah, of course you're gonna pull for him and he's the star of our, our sport right now and you know he's he's growing our sport so you know i think it's it's a positive yeah i mean it's one of those things like, like those boys are my not only are they my friends but i just think i'm a very like patriotic person in the in the sense of like if you come from oz like it just is what it is because guess what i come from oz too and i've been over there as a as a young guy and you know i know obviously i was like never a racer but i was away from my family i was away from my friends and like any support that you'd get back home, from back home like i knew how much it it meant so it's like i've kind of always just gone above and beyond in a sense for those boys to the point where like i probably come across like a dick rider at times <laughs> but it's just like i know that that support is something that you know people enjoy and i think that we're such a like oz realistically is such a small country like our population is only 25 million people 
And uh, yeah. I mean, if you look right now at the the general landscape, like there's so many Aussie guys um, that are doing well, and it just I don't know, it's it's just cool to be able to like build a platform that I can like just openly support these guys, and I, and I never. But then, like you said, there's the tiptoeing element because. I actually just have an insane amount of respect for all of you guys. Like I've been there. I know the. I know how gnarly the tracks are. I know that you, the TV doesn't do it justice. I know that the pressure and what's on the line for you guys. And it's like, so I never want to shit on any rider. Uh, so, but it's like funny, you know, you're in the moment, you're doing those companions and you, you're just not really even thinking about what you're saying. So like sometimes dumb shit slips too. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's a hard one. to the, walk. Yeah. I watched those, those companions were doing and it's pretty cool. Cause like the reactions you guys do um, through it. It reminds me of like when Joe Rogan does like the fight companions, you know, like yeah. I love that stuff and you can kind of tee up the, the TV to your guys talking and kind of replay it and it's dope like that's cool uh, you know you kind of bring a different flavor to you know the sport and uh always enjoyed that stuff no nah, i appreciate it, man well yeah i mean i just straight copied the the companion from from rogan it was just and it's just such a fun it's such a fun thing to do as well like there's just no pressure like i definitely i feel like a responsibility like right now i feel like a responsibility to give you a really good experience here and a good show and like that this feels like it has some kind of weight to it in a sense yeah. whereas like supercross companion <laughs> like i'm just openly like hey guys i'm a fucking idiot you can choose to watch me be an idiot while watching this race or like it's it's on you it's funny because that's how like when i'm a fan of the sport too you know like I do the same thing as you, but I don't have a camera on me. You know, like I'll sit there with mm. Paige and, you know, I'm not racing, say the East Coast is going last year or something. I'm watching. Uh, my reactions are the same. You know, it's like we're just fans of the sport and we love it. You know, it's like and we know the ins and out of it. And so we kind of look at it differently. But, man, it's uh, it's cool because I can, you know, relate on both sides. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been, yeah. It's been fun. Well, I think it, it was so cool to – like it would have been insanely hard to talk shit on you through 2020 or like 2019, 2020, like that run you had on star Yamaha. I mean, the only thing that I could ever give you shit for is the orange light on the handlebar. I think that was like the yeah. only thing that we, that we picked on because there was so many oh. rumors flying around as to what that was. So I think I may have gone in on that. <clears throat> Yeah, I got to give you the backstory on that. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm here for it. I want to hear it. Yeah, Bobby Reagan. Uh, that was his bright idea. Bright idea. But um, yeah. no, it was it was uh, after one of the Houston rounds. He thought he thought I had a problem like breathing, and so he's like, "What can we What can we do to like help him remember breathing?" And he came up with this bicycle light on my on my handlebar, and um, <laughs> I tried hard not to do it, but. I just agreed and was like, all right, you know, I'll do it. And it lasted a couple of races and I slowly kind of like pulled it off my, my bars. And I'm like, Bobby, like, <laughs> I know you're trying to help me, but, uh, this isn't helping, you know, it's causing more of like people like wondering what it is than, than anything. Yeah. Um, that, that first race I did, uh, with it, <laughs> the AMA pulled me off like right away in first practice and like looked at it and they're like, what is that? Like we have, we have team managers calling right now. We have, 
people won't stop saying like, what is that bright light on your bike? And I'm like, dude, it's just, it's off of a bicycle. Like they bought it at a bike shop last week. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but my team's making me do it. So pretty funny. <laughs> so I, I get that. You can, you could say whatever about that. I was, uh, I was kind of embarrassed about it, but you know, that's the boss. And that was, that's what he wanted. Yeah. Look, some stuff just kind of like has to be fair game. <laughs> for people to roast and that was that was just like it was way too easy but that's a bummer that it wasn't yeah. even coming from you dude oh gosh i know i'm just like <laughs> are you sure you want to put this on my handlebar and, and will Hahn was the manager at, at the time and he's like bobby's like bobby said i'll lose my job if i don't have this on your bike you know like <laughs> you have to have this on your bike or i'm gone and so i'm like all right like just put it on the lowest setting. I don't want to see it, like tape it or something, just as long as it's there so he's happy. And yeah, I mean, Bobby will go to those, you know, the he, he thinks about anything and everything. And I think that's why he's, you know, so dominant yeah. with his team is they will do whatever it takes to win. And they will say whatever it takes to get you fired up. And um, yeah, that was a huge change for me for like being at Geico for five years, being super comfortable with with everyone there and 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 then changing to star it was like well you know like luckily i had my brother which was the engine builder at star for a while and then he turned to the team manager um so he kind of was like he helped me ease into there and uh yeah but for any like 19 to 22 year old kid that that goes to star i mean it's it's a rude awakening you know there it's a business yeah. and they want to win and i respect that you know it's like they ain't gonna fluff fluff you you know at, at the at the track and um if you're riding like crap they're gonna call you out and you know you better step up yeah i mean it you definitely like kind of get that vibe you know you, you get like 08 pc vibes there you know like but even gnarlier because it's like mitch never uh Mitch always come across like kind of like a quiet, hard ass, you know, like, and that's what you'd hear, but you wouldn't hear people say like, ah, oh, it's a business. That's like a, uh, that's a line that's attached to star more so than was ever attached to uh, PC. Like it was kind of just more about like Mitch and how gnarly he was and how staunch he was. But yeah, you sort of, it gives the same vibe, but I think this is more like you hear the business chat when people talk about star, which is fair because yeah. it is a yeah. business. Yeah, but the the end goal is like Bobby just wants to win. That's his number one thing. He doesn't care what it takes, what you got to put on your bike, you know, what kit it is, uh, you know, and he'll tell you that right away. And so, um, I mean, he got me and, you know, the whole team was obviously a huge deal, but got me the championship that I was trying to get for so long. And, and it's pretty crazy to look at now, but um, yeah, I mean, couldn't have you know obviously done that without them so yeah did you have a problem breathing was it a thing or was it just <laughs> what it was it their psychoanalysis of you uh, no so i run a heart rate uh strap so every, yeah was, you can ride. see the breathing right yeah 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 so my heart rate's already pretty crazy and there's nothing to hide like i get up to like my max probably in a, in a main event is 215 to 220 and God damn, for some bro. people, yes, for some people, that's like you're falling over, you know, and that's dead. And yeah. so, yeah, so people, my, my trainer at the time, Swanee would be like, you know, he would tell Bobby that it was like, dude, his, his heart rate's spiking and, and he almost has to take a break mid race to, to recover and then get going again. And so that's what it kind of looks like. Um, 
but it, it, I don't know if it was a breathing thing. I think it's just adrenaline. Um, obviously when you're leading a supercross, the last thing you're thinking about is breathing. <laughs> so, uh, mm-hmm. I think I just have a high heart rate, uh, that gets up that high and you just have to adapt with it. But yeah, it's pretty crazy when you look at the numbers and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it could bug, you could take it to where it bugs you and, and you try to fix it and, and do stuff about it. But all I can do is just adapt with it and, you know, learn with it. Yeah. Uh, Alessi had a pretty high heart rate famously. Like he was a guy that, that he would get up into crazy high heart rate numbers and could kind of keep it, keep it, uh, sustained. But everyone just has a different ceiling when it, when it comes to yeah. their heart rate. Like a it's funny. It's funny to talk about the heart rate stuff. I'm going to do world vets at the end of the year. And, uh, we've just okay. been like me, my brother, I got like all my best mates We're we're all going to fly over and do it and rent motorhomes and just like, just have the full Glen Helen thing. And then as soon as the gate, dro- the, the last gate's finished, we'll just gonna we're going to go to Vegas. <laughs> so we're like, we're shaking it like super serious for about 12 months. And then we're going to blow all the hard work out of the water. But I've been doing like the heart rate thing and the, the like, I've been doing motos, like I've been doing 20s every every time I go to the track. And uh, it's actually funny. I've never looked at, I know about it. Like I know the science. I mean, I've had Rob Beams on the podcast a bunch of times and knowing about the sport, you learn a little bit about the heart rate stuff, but I've never applied it to myself. And uh, now I'm like, first thing I do, I'd like come in yesterday. I'm like, ooh, average 174 that moto. I was zone five the whole time, like just fully going in. But uh, it it it's super like it's an interesting way to train, like especially in the building phase when you're doing like the zone two stuff and you're on like the super long you know cycles that that's building yeah. like that base. There's a pretty cool way that you can actually use those monitors to get fit. Yeah, for sure. Um, for like the average Joe, it's it's hard to like use your heart rate as that where. For us, we're trying to get those little things that will help us in a race, and obviously that's why I have Alden now. Um, and so I'm not pretty, sm- I'm not too smart with like the heart rate stuff. I know like obviously my numbers and my zones, but I, all the stuff that I I, I, I do, it automatically uploads to him, and he does yeah. with it. You know, it's like I tell him my my resting heart rate every morning, and he builds the program around that. So, um, yeah, it is pretty interesting though how we are kind of taking that stuff and, and using it in training now where, you know, back in the day with like McGrath and stuff, that was the last thing yeah. they, they would use, you know, like, what is that thing? Why is he putting that thing on his chest? So, um, yeah, I mean, we're all trying to, to gain a little bit and, you know, when we're all so close now, it's, it's crazy that that little bit of uh fine tuning, you know, could be the difference. Oh yeah, man. And I think it, it's probably just uh, a lot of it would be the recovery stuff. I mean, like, yeah, that's the thing I've noticed that since New Year's is kind of like when we all kind of jumped on the program and I'm just worked, bro. <laughs> like, I'm so tired. And I think knowing the, you know, knowing the, the, the sleep that you're getting and the recovery time and like the, the actually the, the interesting one for me has been the heart rate variability. So like, I, you yeah. know, do you, do you look at that one on, your, on your watch? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that, that one, dude, I've been sick twice in the last, like probably, you know, the last six or eight months or whatever, both times I've been sick, my HRV just bottomed out and I was like watching yeah. it drop. And it was when I was traveling, like when I flew to Dubai and then had that like whole week or two weeks of just, it was like gnarly kind of traveling. 
and you just watch yeah. that HRV just start dropping and you're like, bro, I'm going to get sick like 100%. And sure enough, <laughs> you, you end up getting sick on the way back home, it like bottoms out. So that it's actually just for the average Joe, like, you know, you don't have to go too crazy into your, you know, zones and heart rates and stuff. But I feel like just for the average person, if you get like a cheap Garmin watch and like wear it around when you exercise and when you're yeah. whatever, and you watch that HRV, like, it can actually give you a pretty good indication of like just generally where you're at you know yeah it can i feel like it can hurt you though too it's like it, it yeah mine mine f's you know you're like you start seeing your numbers trip out and then you're like well am i getting sick and then you start having anxiety about <laughs> yeah. that where you know if you don't even think about it it's, it's out of your head too but something else i would look at is my watch would be started on the line of a supercross and i'm watching my heart rate and like mm. literally the 30 second board's not even up and I'm at like 140, 150 and I'll catch it. And I'm like, shit, you know, like breathe. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then I start tripping myself out, you know? So it's like, get that thing out of your head. Don't even look at it. Wait till after to get your numbers. But yeah, it's crazy to see, like, literally I'm not even moving and my, yeah. I'm in a zone two, just sitting there, you know, that's how yeah. intense that, that starting line is. It's nuts. Yeah. Well, dude, I just think that, that comes down to like a general just general human anxiety like we just we get anxious like it's fight or flight you know like we're just biological creatures at the end of the day like we think of ourselves obviously we're people and we we think of ourselves as people first but it's almost like well before we're a person we're just a biological creature that's in a certain situation and like the start line of a main event at anaheim on your first 450 race where with a brand new team with 50,000 people in the stands with smoke still clearing from fireworks it's like yeah you should be fucking anxious like that's a that's a biological creature that's a weird place to be yeah and after me you know doing it so many years like obviously that that anxiety goes down and you kind of know what to expect but for the rookie coming in it's like i know exactly how that kid feels you know <laughs> like you're looking around and all these guys that you know, obviously are trying to beat you and oh my gosh, it's just, it's gnarly. Like I think back to my rookie year and I'm like, it was a blur because I probably had so much anxiety that I, I wasn't even thinking, you know, like I wasn't taking it in. I was just, I was probably just freaking out and everything just went by so fast, you know, it's, and, and so those early years, everything's going so fast and you're not really thinking about it, but then you, you catch yourself and you're like, okay, you know, mm. like you get it under control you figure it out and that's what's impressive with jet is how young he is and how well he handles that obviously you see him make those you know young the kid mistakes here and there but he handles it well um and it takes you know the younger group a while it took me till i was 28 27 to kind of bring that together and and use it to like help me instead of hurt me you know and yeah and yeah. use it as a positive instead of bringing myself down on the line you know where when you're talking to yourself or you know trying to pump yourself up it's easy to think of a bad thing and then that takes you down a, a rabbit hole of, of negativity and so many years i was that way and so now i've learned to like change that figure out my thinking and just keep it simple it's just dirt bike yeah. riding at the end of the day you know it's it's not you don't need to freak out and just stay calm believe in your you know your practice and, and what you do during the week and everything will be all right. So, I mean, yeah, I'm 31 saying this now, but when I was younger, it was, uh, it seemed yeah. a lot harder, you know? Yeah. 
Well, it's funny. It's funny with Jet. I mean, it's a cool topic. I actually kind of wanted to dive into this a, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with Jet, like, there's probably a little bit of the Forrest Gump effect going on with Jet. You know, like where it's like you see Forrest Gump when he's on the football field, and they're like, "Just run, just run, Forrest," and then it's like, "Cool," <laughs> and then he just woo, down to the end zone, looks up, the ball's right there, he catches it. He's like, "Oh, that was dope." Whereas, you know, you get a, probably you, <laughs> they're like, all right, Christian, we're going to get you into the end zone. You're like, all right, what's the play? What's the, the like, yeah. you're trying to read all the, all the defense. So it's like, uh, and I think Toby Price is like that too. Like uh, you go out to, you know, the Fink track, which is just wide open top gear. Like the race is two hours long and the average speed is 140 kilometers an hour. And it's just like, that dude ain't overthinking. He's just like wrapping his hand around the throttle, holding it wide open and it's just like i just felt like running <laughs> you know so there's some guys that it's like their superpower in, in that sense that they can just detach from the moment and just feel like running as opposed to yeah. you know like over analyzing and and uh and that so i think that it's probably what you're seeing is just like this crazy combination between like talent and then just not really caring you know like he he definitely cares but that caring isn't coming into it while he's on the bike you know it's almost like yeah. a it's just letting go and and doing the thing and then you know i think that's why you see so much like raw emotion and stuff out of him too because he's like he's just super in the moment yeah and it's it's so hard to do but the biggest thing to do is like shut your brain off you know believe in yeah. just riding the bike like you don't need to think about all these things and it's, it's so easy to start overthinking and, and doing that stuff, but literally just shut that off, do what you do every day at the practice track, you know, believe yeah. in your ability. And it's so easy for me to sit here and say this, but in two days I'm going to line up and, and catch myself overthinking, you know? So, um, <laughs> yeah. it's just all about mind control, shutting the brain off, doing what you, you know, you've done for years. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of uh, emotion on race day, a lot of anxiety, a lot of overthinking, a lot of just like dumb shit that goes through your head on race day that you can't get anywhere else or you can't practice like on a practice day, you know, like, yeah. man, it's nuts. It's nuts to think about now. And then, you know, you deal with it every Saturday and it's just all about how you deal with that and how you control it is what's going to be, you know, what's going to either help you or hurt you when it comes race time. Yeah, and I mean, so I was watching, before we did this, I was watching a, a bunch of vlogs, and I think that there's this, th this is like my analysis in a, from a, you know, van distant vantage point. It seems to me like you're such a, like a nice guy, and you care so much about other people's feelings, and the effort that the team puts in, and you, you can't, like, in literally every vlog that I watch, you come in even when you're fucking doing good you'd come in and then it's like uh you'd sort of if your performance wasn't up to par in your mind or like what you wanted to give to the team it's almost like you started saying the things that went wrong with yourself or like acknowledging all the things that you didn't do right and it's like you could look at that just if you take it off face value you could look at that in like a in sort of like a negative way or like it's come, it's coming off from a place that's different than where I actually think it's come from. Like, I think what you're actually doing is like, you're trying to acknowledge that the team did so good 
everything's great with a team, but like it was you that, that didn't deliver. And I think that that's like a very noble thing to do. And like I said, that's coming from like such a good place in, in you. But I think that that's probably what sets off that negative kind of thing in, in your mind, you know? And it's like, you're trying to do a positive thing for the people that are around you, but then you're kind of doing a negative thing for yourself. And then that's gives you like a place that you have to kind of climb out of. And I could just see that things then can start compounding like the good things, like positivity compounds, but also like negativity compounds. Mm -hmm. And I was like watching those videos and I'm like, fuck, I really, I know that he's doing this out of like being a really good dude and trying to like really protect the people that are putting the effort in and around him. But I'm like, I, that's probably not the move for you personally. So I don't know if that resonates yeah. at all. Dude, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, you probably watched the A1 vlog of two weeks ago. And uh, I think I put so much pressure on myself that race to start off my with the new team. I want to start off yeah. so good with that team. I wanted to, I started with the new gear company. I want to, you know, I want to start off so well. And then when it all changed on pra my practice crash, it's like, everything went negative and from then on out like my my brain was just shut down like i was just yeah like screw this you know like why do i even why why is fox even hire me why am i a factory rider you know i'm like i was torturing myself mentally and you can even see it without even me saying anything and i went down that hole of of negativity and you saw in my riding like how bad i was like i was just i wouldn't let myself go and at the end of the race you know, like, uh, Nate came up to me and he's like, well, you know, you know, you made it through. I'm like, yeah, Nate, like I I'm 31 and you, you know, you don't have to try to play nice or, or be positive. Like you deserve better. You know, you didn't hire me to get 13th place. You hired me to battle up front with these guys and try to get on the box or top five. And, and I didn't do that. And I'm sorry. And I'm embarrassed, you know, and I said that to his face, like, I'm embarrassed for myself. I'm sorry that that factory bike was that far back. Um, and then, you know, I went outside and there's the Fox guys and, um, you know, high up at Fox, you know, Hoover. And, you know, they give me a hug and, you know, like you're, you're going to be good next weekend. And I'm like, you know what? I, I'm sorry, but I didn't even deserve that custom gear. You guys made me <laughs> like that was, <laughs> I just beat myself down more, you know, like you guys just went all out making me this custom sick gear that no one else has. And I rode like shit, you know, like if I ride like that again, I want, I want you to put me in the cheapest gear you guys make, you know, like I don't deserve that. And they all started laughing, but it's true. I'm like, they, they given me the world and I, I couldn't deliver that night. And, and luckily, obviously there's it's a lot of racing ahead still, but I want to do so well, not only for myself, but for my family, my team, my sponsors and yeah when it doesn't go well, the stuff happens. Like you said, you know, it compounds yeah. to so much negativity and, and beating myself up mentally and just sitting upstairs in my bunk and just being like, what am I doing here? Do I deserve this? Why am I riding like shit? You know, overthinking yeah. my riding. And I mean, every rider does it and they're not going to sit here on camera and probably say it, but I'm a realist, you know, I'm going to say yeah. it how it was. And, and I held myself back that night and, when I should have just relaxed, believed in all the off season work I did with everybody. And 
yeah, I just didn't execute. Yeah, and like I said, man, I mean, it, it's that's coming from a that's a very humble place that you're coming from, you know, and and you're you're like obviously an extremely genuine person that cares a lot for the people around you because if you didn't care the way that you do, like you couldn't genuinely have that reaction, you know. So it's like the first place that it's coming from is like such a good genuine place, but I just think I, in my personal life, I always think about where's the point of diminishing returns. So like for in, in every single thing that I do, you, your life exists on this spectrum of like too little and too much with everything that you do with like with work, with exercise, with eating junk food, with sleeping, like sleep's the best thing in the world. Everyone needs to sleep, but you can sleep for eight hours a night. That's like kind of the, where the, the curve hits the peak. You start sleeping 14 hours a night, well, all of a sudden, you're just wasting most of your life to sleep. So it's like, here's this great thing that you need to do. And if you get it right, it will improve your life dramatically. But you go too little and it reduces the quality of your life dramatically. And you go too far and it reduces the, the quality of your life dramatically. So it's like, I always think in my head nowadays of like, all right, fuck how I feel about this thing what's the point of diminishing returns that I'm hitting? And it's like, I just think that, you know, maybe maybe you are coming from this good place, but then it can, like, you can lose control of it and then it just ends up in that point of diminishing returns territory, you know? And I just, I think as well, like, you're, you're like the leader of your crew, you know? Like, you're the leader of your family. And then when it comes to the to the track, like, yeah, Nate's the the team boss but you're like he's looking to you to be the leader and then it's the same with you know like the fox guys um and i think that yeah it's just like that i think that like more just leading with positivity is probably it'll probably not let that negative train kind of fucking leave the station and just let you you know out of it like you're just a passenger on that on that train and uh, but like dude so much easier said than done yeah yeah i mean like now i can sit here and and laugh about a1 or like and learn from it but it was at that moment it was so hard to like snap out of that you know and yeah and going back to like of too much or too less um i've done both ways you know like i've my early on in my career i didn't do enough you know like i hated training i didn't want to do the motos i just want to go have fun then later on at the Geico days, I did too much. Like I did too much cycling. I focused all my attention like off the dirt bike. And I think that hurt me when I would go ride. Like I wasn't focusing on my technique or stuff like that. I was focusing on my two hour bike ride I went on in the morning, you know? So I obviously I yeah. went too far. So now I found the in-between of what works for me. And like, my thing is I'm like, just show up every day, like be there every day. I'm, I'm always the first one there unless there's some sort of emergency. Like I'm there before any mechanic shows up to the track. And I don't know why I think I'm just wired like that. And some, some of my teammates will be like, like, why are you here so early? I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I just want to be here and I want to be ready. And like, I do, I try to just do everything the right way. And so when it does go sideways, like it did at a one or any of these other you know, bad races I've had, it eats me up even more. Cause then I'm like, well, yeah. where did I go wrong? You know, I, I practiced my starts. My starts sucked on Saturday. I did the motos 
you know, so I'm just like, like where, where, did, what happened? You know, where did it go sideways? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So but that's funny kind you of say that. Me- like, you're you're like saying that you know you're the first one of the tracker. Like, yeah, that's that leadership shit I'm talking about. You know, like it's pretty evident in your life that you're you're like a an, a leader in you know what what you've got going on. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I mean I don't do that like on purpose. It's just like. I get up, I do my, my warm up. I go straight to the track and I'm getting geared up while like my mechanics aren't going to, I don't want them to sit there and wait for me. You know, like I want to be ready when, when they're ready for me. And, and it's just little things like that. And, or when I have to be at Alden's in the morning, I want to be 10 minutes early just in case, you know, it's just, and that's just the way I'm wired. I don't know what it is or why I'm like that, but, um, I, I, I do overthink a lot of stuff too, but, I think that does help me too in, in some aspects in life. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And there'll, there'll be just a sweet spot, you know, like the, the peak mm-hmm. of the curve of like, uh, overthinking is like diminishing returns, but just like the right amount of thinking. Like there's, there is a sweet spot of your thinking. You, I think that going or like the challenge of, uh, like the I guess just like the continual progress of your life and like trying to get better as an athlete and a person like it's all about like searching for that sweet spot you know and I, and I think I actually read a book uh I don't know if you're a big reader or like an audiobook guy or I don't know if you're in, into it mm, kind of here a few here and there uh well there's a really good book that I I just finished and it was funny like it's actually a book I've been putting off reading for fucking 10 years it feels like but um, it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And uh, and I was like, all right, finally. It, it was I actually read it because it was basically one of the only good books in a bookstore in Dubai that I could find. So I was like, right, I guess I'm actually finally doing it. Uh, but it was like unbelievable. It was way better than I thought it would be. It was, turned out to be one of the best books I ever read. But there's a part in it where he talks about your your like a circle so you've got like this big circle on the outside is your uh, circle of concern so that's like all the things that you would worry about in your life or in racing or whatever but like we could just focus on like the racing so your circle of concern would be like is Basha going to clean me out <laughs> is fucking is freezing the sea race with me like there's a lot of like circle like they're things that fall within your circle yeah. of concern but then within that is a smaller circle which is your circle of influence. So it's like the things that you can control. So like both of those things are in your, are in your circle of concern, but not in your circle of influence. And, uh, and I just, that that's, I think that's one of the things I like about reading is you can just find those little nuggets that someone has really, really, really thought about and spent a lot of time thinking about and a lot of time writing about. And to me now, it's almost like once you hear that, I can't unhear it. So then yeah. I'm having all these little moments in my in my day now where I'm like, oh, this is like in my circle of of concern, but not my circle of influence. So like I'm just gonna like or, or try and find something that is in my circle of influence that could affect the the circle of concern. And uh, I just thought that was such a good framing and something that was like quite practical to use like as a tool every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I wish I had time to, to read, but like my only quiet time is when I get in my truck to go to the track or train, like yeah. literally yeah. I'll put on a podcast or music and that is my only quiet time. Cause from 
6 a.m. to whenever I leave. It's wide open with the kids getting them ready for school or whatever it is. But uh, yeah, so reading is is tough for me, but um, podcast is what yeah. does it for me. Or just just like talking with you know, obviously people that are have been through it. That's that's a big thing. Yeah. And man, it's um, it's just life. You know, just going through, learning, and and trying to grow and, and get better each time. Like I, I just. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband, um, obviously a better racer and, and like fine tuning those and, and trying to balance them is so tough, but you know, I feel like we do. Okay. Oh, definitely. Yeah, dude, definitely. Like, and you know, to, to go through, I th well, first of all, as well, like, I think it's very worthwhile just saying it's cool that you are down to show people that side of you like the fact that i can even like have this conversation with you and be like oh yeah i'm watching from a, the other side of the world and it's like yeah you can see the these things in you because you're down to actually show these things to people and i'm sure that there's so many people that would get an immense amount of value out of i guess like seeing the way that you carry yourself seeing the way that you act as a dad like as I am getting older and looking into, you know, like the kids thing will be a part of my life at some point. Like, it's funny, like you start to look up to people for different reasons, you know, it's like there was a, probably a lot of people that looked up to Christian Craig for whoop speed that also get a lot of parenting inspiration at the, at the same time, you know, it's like, it's like people change the seasons of their life. So it's like, just honestly, the fact that you guys are so down to show that level and you're not just trying to glamorize the sport which we need all of it you know it's not like yeah. people who do that it's not a good thing but like you're one of the people that i guess takes that uh chance of showing that side of their their personality and man i i really think that it, it's great for a lot of people yeah i think uh a lot of that is obviously like because of my wife I, i'm not huge like people person i've always been like reserved and just kept to myself and when I got married, like my wife was always the talker. And when we go to dinner, like she's the one that holds conversations or, you know, she could talk to anybody. And she's obviously one of the nice, nicest people out there. And, um, yeah, so a lot of it is because of her and bringing that out and showing the world that, you know, we are a shit show and we're not perfect. <laughs> you know, we're going through life just like everyone else. Like it's, yeah. it's chaotic and, you know, we have three kids bouncing off the wall and I'm trying to race and we're, we're moving across the country. We're sleeping in Airbnb, staying at hotels, um, trying to take our kids riding, trying to take my daughter to dance. Uh, just, it's crazy. It's chaotic, but it is what like I envisioned when I was, when I was younger or, you know, growing mm. up, it's like, I wanted a family. I wanted this and I wanted it to do different than what I grew up. You know, I grew up obviously around the same stuff, but just in a different way. And, uh, you, some, some kids want to grow up to be just like their dad or try to do better than their dad. And I'm just, I'm obviously I learned a lot from my dad and, and the good and bads he did. And, uh, I just try to like, just do better and be there for my kids. And, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bash my dad, but obviously he's had his issues. Um, and I don't talk to him anymore, but I just try to learn from that, be there for my kids, my family and, yeah, just little things like that. I try to take and, and just, you know, go with my life with it. Yeah, I think a lot of people, they I guess they call it like breaking the cycle, you know? Like you have those things that, like everyone has 
everyone has trauma in their life from their childhood that plays out massive in their in their adult life and i think i think a lot of like some people don't really think about it a lot a lot of people you know spend a lot of time thinking about again diminishing returns like you can think about your childhood your whole life and then not live your life because of it you know um but yeah it's 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 one of those things where yeah it really comes across that it seems like you have such a crazy high value of your relationship with Paige and then the role that you play as a dad to your kids and I think that maybe comes across more than anything that that you guys do and it doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel manufactured at all um but yeah it's probably is a result of like that pendulum swing from you know one one way to the another like what you experienced as a kid to what you do or don't want your own kids to to experience yeah and like i said i I don't want to sit here and bash bash my dad but oh i do i learned a lot of what not to do you know and how not to treat you know your family um i had a lot of demons and stuff i suppressed when i was a kid you know and it's Mm. it's all such a blur now but i i'll think of those little things will pop up in my mind here and there um of growing up and, and seeing the things that I did. Um, and I know a lot of people go through it too. You know, I, I think it's pretty well known that, that my dad went down a dark road. Um, he had everything, you know, he had a factory ride. Um, he had wife, kids, and everyone watched it slip away because of drugs, you know? And so mm. when I was growing up, I wanted to do everything it, that he was, you know, he was, I just didn't want to be like that. I was like, I want to be positive. I want to stay away. I'm not going to touch any of that stuff. I'm not going to be a partier. I want a family and I'm going to be there for my kids. And um, so, you know, he, he showed me, I guess, what not to do. Um, but obviously he, he showed me a lot of good stuff too. So I'm not going to sit here and bash him. Um, but yeah, like I said, just suppress. I suppressed a lot of my childhood. Um and looking back, it's, it's pretty crazy, the stuff that, uh, you know, growing up and, you know, living on my own at 18, um, just bouncing around friends' houses, um, going through life, trying to trying to go pro, not knowing what to do, obviously. And then injuries, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's crazy sitting here now looking back at it and yeah. all those pieces that it that went through, you know, negative, positive, yeah. and it's nuts. I think there's a there's a strange thing that that happens in in your life where a lot of the best things that end up happening eventually come from the more negative experiences of your life and I think that there's a way that you can and I, I think it just definitely comes with getting older and you start to if you do the work or if you think about it in the right way or if you like I guess there's some stuff you have to let go of to do it in a sense but if you can start to be thankful for the negative things that happened in your life as a result of the positive things that you have now like the relationship that you have with Paige and your kids I bet is the most like foundational part of who you are as a person and if that come out of your dad being a fuck up <laughs> Like you almost have to say thanks in a way, you know, because like imagine if he was just like 
a semi-normal dude and then you like took your wife for granted and didn't really like give her the the respect and the credit and it was just like an average relationship and and then you're like you're like a good dad but you weren't the best dad you know so it's like imagine if your dad was just like a little bit better of a dude you might be like a little bit worse of a husband and a father so it's like you know sometimes you really have to look back and be like fuck dude like thanks for being so messed up yeah yeah i mean uh my dad taught me a lot of good stuff obviously i'm i'm on a dirt bike I have a career because he did it, you know, and he showed me and he always had a dirt bike for me and he always tried to be there for me, you know, and, but once drugs took over, there was no going back and it's crazy to watch his life kind of just go down, you know, each year it just like a little bit worse, a little bit worse, lose this, lose that. And all of a sudden he's at rock bottom, you know? And so, and with so many years for me trying to, you know, I grew up trying to help him. You know, try to get help yeah. for them, try to get them better. But when someone doesn't want help or doesn't think that they have a problem, you know, or uh, is hooked on anything, they can't help themselves. You know, they got to realize that they have a problem first, want help and yeah. go get it on their own. They can't be forced by a family member or anything like that. It's uh, like I, I always think of this uh, this one time we lived in a fifth wheel Um when I was an amateur, we didn't, we didn't have a house and we traveled, we traveled to all these amateur nationals. Um, and my dad was just kind of, you know, we were making it through, but he was obviously had his addiction. And, um, one time we parked uh, at Glen Helen right by the, by, by the gate. I don't know. I was probably on an 85 and, uh, I rode all day and that night he left. He's like, yeah, I'll be back. Didn't see him the next day he was still wasn't there. And I was just in a fifth wheel by myself. And, uh, I'll never forget that. Cause every time I go to Glen Helen now, I see the parking spot, you know, I just picture this fifth wheel sitting no there shit. and I, I, I couldn't drive. There was no car there. I'm just sitting there in a fifth wheel waiting for my dad to come home. Didn't have a cell phone. And eventually he shows up, you know, a day and a half later and, and apologizes and, and shit like that. And, and it moves on. But there's so many of those stories that, Oh, it's, it's crazy looking, looking back now, but that's what I'm saying is like with my family, it's like, I'm going to be there for every bit of it, you know, and, and I'm not going to be the fuck up, you know, I'm not going to be that dad. And, um, I hope my, you know, my kids can grow up the same way or not the same way as I did, but hope they grow up with good morals and and good values and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to tiptoe around that stuff because I get asked about my dad so much in the media and I just say, oh, like, I don't know how he's doing. Like, I don't, I don't talk to him anymore, unfortunately. And it, it sucks that we've went our separate ways. But, um, yeah, just little pieces like that that, uh, yeah, but, I, man, it's tough to, to think about for sure. I can even imagine it was probably like a little bit of a head fuck at a time to like, do you even want to be a pro racer if that's what it ends mm-hmm. up being, you know, like, because then you get girls and then you do drugs and then you party and then so it's like I can even see you being a kid being like dude I don't even know if I want to be a fucking motocross racer because this is what happens when you do it (laughs) yeah for sure um and then like just hearing the stories of how crazy he was you know and I'm like yeah yeah like I know I'm I'm just not gonna comment on it 
like that's why that's my answer is like yeah i just don't talk to him anymore you know like i don't even want to entertain it anymore it's so many people have like yeah dude your dad was so rad and so fast like and then they have stories of just like dude your dad did this like he's a piece of shit and he was fighting at the track there's there's video of freaking buttery films have him getting knocked out by this rider i'm like dude like that's that's my dad and and buttery's posting this of my dad getting beat up dude on social media and i remember this like a couple years ago i'm like i finally messaged him I'm like hey i don't like my dad either like i don't talk to him but can you just chill a little bit you know like it kind of reflects on me as much as like i don't want it to it still comes back on me you know i still have that last name um but i've distanced myself as far as possible to like be my own guy and and well represented um and my wife has helped me out with that like obviously she grew up with a good family and that's kind of my family now is she didn't know like all that stuff that i went through and and kind of she never had a family member like that and so Mm. it was like a shock to her to like hear all these stories of my dad and stuff and so it was tough for a while there but like i I wait for that call every day too you know of, of like I've, I've gotten a call where he got hit by a car, but he's fine. And I'm just like, how? <laughs> like he got hit by a car, but how is he fine? You know, like he's in the hospital, but he's going to be okay. He's like, he just got a cut on his leg. He got hit by a car late at night. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what the hell? And then yeah. Yeah, I'm just waiting for a call from a family member. Just like, yeah, like it's just going to, it is going to happen eventually. And it's, uh, yeah, it sucks for sure. I think a lot about, um, sorry to keep fucking dragging into it, but I just, I think a lot about no, people, I, I've got, uh, I've got some family members that are in a similar situation and it's the same thing. We don't really talk. Like it's just, it's not, just not my, my deal. You know, like you can only get to a certain point with people and then it's like, okay, cool. We just can't, we can't be friends. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, you look at it and then you have to cut people off at a certain point in your life and you've, then you've got to kind of like deal with the, the guilt of that or whatever. But then also like at, le- at least for me, like I look at, there's one person in particular in my life where I look at his life and then I look at his dad and then I look at his dad's dad and like I know the, I know the history because it's family and it's like my great granddad shot himself at the kitchen table in front of the kid like in front of everybody and it's like i had to find that out as a kid and then i i I know why my granddad's so fucked up and then i know why then my uncle's so fucked like you can kind of like trace back the Mm. the things in people's life to where it almost makes it seem like they couldn't have been a different way and like it Mm -hmm. sucks but there's almost a little bit of closure in that, in a sense, because it's like, I, uh, that's the that's the the fucked up hand that life dealt that person, and you almost can't help but feel sorry for them because they couldn't get their they couldn't get their way out of it, and it's like, just what what more tools do you have than like the family that you're in and the environment that. And if you don't get given the tools and life throws you this situation and you can't deal with it, then you can't deal with it. Like you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And like, I look at my, my mum, same situation, same grandfather, same father, same, everything's the same. And she's lived this amazing life, kind of just did what you did, you know, like I've never yeah. known any of that shit in my, in my life. And so, yeah, it's like, it's, 
it's one of those things where I think sometimes it can almost even just help a little bit to like look back and be like, well, they got they got dealt these cards by life and they just didn't have the hand to you know they they lost they lost the hand they lost the pot you know like it and and it's like fuck like surely they could have fixed it at some point but they didn't for whatever reason they didn't have the tools and then you know you sort of just like learn from history and like I said you go back to the fact that like how you raise your kids now like they yeah. they're just never gonna have to deal with that and then you you get to you get to have this relationship from from now on as like a as a result of it you know and and i also don't think as well as much as it probably feels like it reflects on you like it just doesn't <laughs> like it's just not like you just have no say in that in that matter you know like obviously you probably feel that weight but there's just in no way shape or form is that a reflection of who you are you know like you're you're you've done what you've done in spite of that and there's so many people that could have gone the other way bro like just the yeah. with the upbringing that you had like dude you could have you you had access to shit you know like you had not much <laughs> supervision yeah there's a yeah. whole lot of ways yeah. where you could have where you could have you know done the same thing so it's a it's a hell of a way to grow up and you got to a hell of a place in life in spite of you know that situation so something to be proud of yeah and i i wish my kids knew knew him you know but we just had to like he they don't even ask you know it's it's unfortunate and like i want them to know my dad and my family but like it's just not the right way but again with with my kids i want to give them the world and everything but i also want them to mm. to know hard work and like kind of like the suffer and know that so i don't want them to just think everything's so easy in life and just hand them that all like i want to give them all like whenever I want to go buy them the toy or the dirt bike and I just want to give them everything, but I don't want him to be the spoiled brat either. You know, I want him to, I want him to work for what he gets and, and have good morals. Um, and it's, it's like that fine line of, of being a parent. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough for sure. But, um, yeah, I've learned a lot in, in my life so far and, um, but yeah, I mean, man, just the ups and downs for sure. Like, the craziness of i feel like i've lived multiple lives you know yeah it's i was like literally just thinking these, that dude i'm like for 31 bro, there's a lot going on <laughs> these stages of my life you know they felt like just they weren't me you know like uh from 18 mm. to 22 i was just a different guy and then from 22 to 27 i was this guy and so on but yeah it's crazy yeah, I, I was literally thinking that. I'm like, man, it's it's for for a young dude. It's a it's a hell of a a life to to live. And even like, dude, I'm thirty, I'm thirty four now, and it's like no kids, not married, like the whole deal. And I look at a guy like you, thirty one, three kids, married for ages, like the, and it just it makes sense. Like you look at everything that you've been through in your life, and you you know you you know the backstory, and you're like young dude three kids killing it with his family like it makes sense that you've been through all of this stuff and it's like you you've got you're probably a much older person in, in a lot of respects you know yeah yeah for sure and there's negatives to that and positives um but i think it's just not having like such a easy life like dealing with the injuries i've went through um breaking my back like almost ending up in a wheelchair just like those parts of my life have built me 
to the person I am today. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy to like, if I didn't go through that, that year of almost being in a wheelchair and, and living at a, a rehab facility, would I, would I be here today? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Probably, I'd probably yeah, be a, you know, a little shit that just didn't take full advantage of his career, you know, and didn't learn. But like, I almost had to go through those, those trials and, and injuries to like realize what I have in front of me, you know? So yeah and and that's where i think that yeah you just you can if you really look if you really look for the positives i mean the one that i always use like when i got turned away for the at the states like i had to come home i was just like dude my world was ending i was like oh my god like what have i done i've just you know like i'm i won't be able to do this i won't be able to do this like i'm what am i going to do like i had no money like all my everything was just like my future you know like what i saw in my head and then i'm just like sitting there with what felt like everything taken away from me and then it was just like i've had so many i've had like my life's been amazing from a family standpoint but then in everything else it's been like pretty tumultuous you know like i've sort of i didn't nail it for a really long time (laughs) and uh and you know like you sort of i i think that i was actually talking about this i was talking about this with myrtle the other day actually but um but myrtle we were talking about just that whole situation i was like man i was honestly like fully devastated for like 20 minutes and then i realized that i'd been through so much shit in my life and i had so many of these moments where like i was broke and i thought this was it and it was the end of the road and i always figure it out like there's always if you just keep going forward like you know something good happens as a result and then now you fast forward five years later and then i've got this podcast and it's like the thing that i'm the most proud of it's a thing that I'm the most passionate about. And it's like a thing that I feel like does good for the world. It does good for me. Like, so, you know, that moment that where, you know, you think that your life is over, it's like, well, dude, I wouldn't have this. Maybe I'd, and the thing is, is like, also maybe it'd be better. Maybe if I didn't have that happen and I was, maybe it's better, but I ain't taking that fucking risk. Like if you asked me to roll the dice right now and you're like, Hey bro, we're going to take you back. And then you're gonna. It's like a. It, it, you. They said no, but they're saying yes this time, and we'll just see where it goes. I would not do that. I would not roll no. that dice. I would take every yeah. lick that I've taken in my life to just stay right fucking here, because it can yeah. go either way, you know. So it's like, I think that as you maybe as you have like more of those things in your life happen, like you had your back, and then you have the you know the the stuff with your dad. Like you have you take all these licks in life. But then when it gets you to this spot here, you're like, someone says, roll a dice to, you know, you can, you can change it. I'll be like, no, nah, I'm sweet, bro. <laughs> like, I, I think I'll just yeah. stay here. Yeah. I mean, same for me. There's like things in life that happen. Like, it's crazy. I met my wife cause I had a broken arm in Anaheim and I was in the stands instead of on the track. You know, I met her in the and stands. She just like and locked like, eyes and was just like, dude, yes, <laughs> you're mine, baby. Yes. No, I locked eyes. So, I, so I'm the one that I kept staring at her. I'm like, who is that? I kept staring at her, and we we're like in the you know where everyone sits at Anaheim Stadium. Like, there's yeah, that yeah. section right by the tunnel, and uh, I kept staring. And we finally locked eyes. A few weeks later, we're talking, and the rest is history. But like, I had a cast on, and I should have been out there racing, and that could have not happened. True, you know. And so it's nuts that the way it did happen, and the way she's you know, obviously helped me to be the man I am today. Um, like I wouldn't trade any of that. Like I wouldn't 
take back any of that, like any of my injuries that I had to change where I'm at today. Cause like I get to go home to these three badass kids and an awesome wife, you know, and, and this career that I have, it's, it's cause of, you know, those little trials and, and tribulation things, you know? Yeah. So I guess people, people probably know that like Paige's dad was like involved in Guaco and that, and that whole deal. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't it even just crazy how it worked out that like the chick that you like ended up being the daughter of a guy that was involved in a team? Like it, it is a pretty gnarly story in terms of like you two as a couple relationship, like in motocross and, and where like you have that moment where you like see her in the stands and you're like, all right, it's on boys. And then <laughs> everything just that, that kind of like spreads off that. It's funny because I was riding for TLD Honda and her dad was Geico Honda owner. And uh, that's when we started dating was when I was riding for that team. And so early on, you know, her dad was always giving me shit. Like, you know, or she was like, he's like, you're not going to date a racer. And next thing, you know, I'm at their house and <laughs> the rest, yeah. you know, obviously it goes Don't on. bring it to the truck but, then, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. Like, why was she at the race? I, I just couldn't stop staring. But um <laughs> Yeah, it's funny that to think about that. Like, I got so many messages from people saying, like, "Oh, you know, you only have that Geico ride because of her dad." Yeah, and I think that's bullshit because obviously I had a ride before that, and and uh, obviously I went through when I stopped racing, I went and got a job, and then when I came back, I only got that fill-in spot because Bogle was hurt or he got hurt, and so I called not only my father-in-law, I called. Ziggy and and other guys on the team to get that spot and get a you know opportunity so it's easy to look like like I only got that ride because of her but I think that's that's kind of bs because I actually put in results too yeah so you were you were racing for Troy Lee then was that the year that you hurt your back like so when did you hurt you like the timeline wise when did you hurt your back and then when did you actually just like retire from racing so 2009 i went pro raced the last four with jgr um kind of did shitty didn't really get anything got a i called some uh teams pingree was the manager of tld at the time he gave me a a day to go ride the test track on the bike so i went there rode the bike felt like i did good um you know did everything I could. Next thing I'm signed for Supercross deal for 2010. And then the end of 2009, I'm testing with the team, getting ready for the new season. That's when my bike locked up. Um, and I broke my back. So I was out all of 2010, came back 2011, did okay. Um, and then they re-signed me for one year deals until 2013. And that was when they we're like, hey, you know, you've been hurt. And I, like, I, I didn't, I don't, you know, I don't do anything. I don't put anything against them for this, but they're like, you know, we're not going to resign you. You went through a lot of injuries and that's fine. Like I, I was on the sidelines more than I was racing. Um, so I had nothing at that time. And I'm like, all right, I had a cast on and I was kind of over dirt bikes. Like I was just, I was like, all right, like, I've dealt with three wrist surgeries, my back. It feels like it's just not for me. So I went and got a, a real job in Minnesota, spent two years there. 
still love dirt bikes, still rode here and there like once a week and, and had a, a 450 there and then just kept riding and, mm. and I found that love for it again. And then, uh, my plan was to race all outdoors in 2015 and I was just going to do all the outdoors. And if I could get a ride, then I'll come back. But if not, I'll know I tried. And uh, Bogle got hurt at round one of the outdoors. And so I filled in. And obviously, I had some good results. Signed for 2016. And, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But stepping away for those two years was was huge for me. Because all I knew before that was, was racing, riding, and training. Like, I didn't know real life. And um, it was an awakening for me. You know, like a rude awakening. Trying to, uh, you know, work construction. But uh, it wasn't for me either. You know, like I realized that real quick. I tried to, I tried to do that for a year and was like, you know what, racing's for me and that's what I love and that's what I want to do. And here we are. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story. And I bet the stuff as well, like people probably didn't have context around everything that was going on in your personal life when you choose to retire. Like probably I can imagine that that choice to just like stop racing was probably easier than most people would think. Just just feel like there would have been so much baggage from the past and so much baggage with everything that had happened that you were just like, you know what? I'm kind of fucking over it. I also don't want to, I don't want to, I've seen where this can go. Like maybe let's just go be normal. Like for, for a lot of guys, your age in that position at that time, like retirement would have just been probably the most like gnarly and scary thing, but probably with everything that you went through, maybe it was like a, an, an easy process in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I was getting married at the time I was making shitty money. You know, like I wasn't really making any money racing. It was just getting by. I was living out of one bedroom apartment in, in, uh, Wildemar. So, uh, it sounded nice to go get married, get a, a steady paycheck, buy a house, start a family. And, you know, we did, we did that and it was, it was awesome. I learned a lot. I learned that I love dirt bikes and I did not want to give that up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I learned that real quick and, uh, yeah, I pissed some, some family members off, but, um, we laugh about it now, you know, it was cause it was like, I, I knew I, what I wanted and, and I, I chased it and, and, you know, it's like, I've, I'm here today. Like I said, it's crazy to, yeah. to look back at now. Cause it was such a, like, it was so far away thinking about it. It was like, can I make it? But well, let's try. Let's give it a year. And here we are. That was 2015, you know? So, you know, my career's kind of like rebounded in a way and if taken off that way. It's actually almost unimaginable the way that your career has played out post, you know, you've got two careers in a sense. Mm -hmm. And the second career is just, it's kind of almost seems like you had everything go on from like a kid to the first time that you retired and then you sort of shut the door it was a couple years off and it almost seems like just a completely fresh start like new me new attitude new outlook new starting from the bottom it does it did it feel like that in a sense that you've almost had like these two completely separate careers as two completely separate you know like this second time around you've got like Paige's family your own family like it's just the environment around racing and i'm sure like the mental baggage around racing was just completely different the second time around for sure and i like i want to apologize to the tld team because 
they gave me every opportunity and I just did not take advantage of it. You know, like mm. I hated training. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do the motos. Like I was just doing the bare minimum where I should have been working my ass off. And that's why I ended up stepping away is cause you know what they, I wasn't putting in the results because of my effort. And, uh, it sucks cause I had the potential and they saw it, you know, and, and they, they kept trying to bring it out and tried to different things each year. And it just, it just wouldn't work out. It was cause of my, you know, I, I don't know myself, my selfless. Maybe I was just, I was just kind of, uh, didn't really want it. And mm. I realized that once I stepped away, the fire kind of lit underneath me again. And then I was, you know, when I came back to racing, I'm like, I am not going back to that nine to five until, mm. you know, I'm too old to race, you know, and I don't know when that is or age when I'm done, but I love racing. I'm going to do that till I can't anymore, you know? So I think that's why my second time around my career was so much different because I put in all that work. I did all the extra credit stuff. I put in the motos and then my potential started showing, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I for sure needed that two year break to like mentally mm. heal, physically heal from my wrist injuries, from my back, to light that fire underneath me again. What do you, have you thought about? What was holding you back mentally the first time around? That you know you just sort of like, yeah, you kind of you get everything you that you wanted essentially as a kid. You're like on a team and you're doing the supercrosses and you you know driving at Angel Stadium and you're doing the whole deal. And there was obviously just like this part of you that was holding you back. Like, do you have you ever really thought about what that was? I think my back uh injury held me back for so long um really mentally like that still eats me up to that day till this day like i can vividly remember every detail of that day who was there where the hospital like and that ate me up for years when i did come back to racing you know like i tried to get out of my head try not to think about it but it was always there and how close I was to being in a wheelchair and oh, having dude. that feeling of yeah. having that feeling of laying on the track, not feeling my legs, you know, like I had that feeling of, of being paralyzed and I was sitting there trying to move my legs and I couldn't. And that was the scariest feeling in my life, you know, like, and I still have tingling in my legs and some spots in my toes because of it. And, uh, it's, it's obviously to this day, it's still kind of, it's haunting, but I've learned to like deal with it in a different way and use it as a positive now. And, and, yeah. uh, so I think that's what held me back when I did come back for 2011 to 2013 with TLD is like, I, I mentally held myself back also. So it was almost like a trust issue in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. It's like, I think I was kind of timid with, with riding again and, but I was young. So, I probably just wasn't thinking about it, but now that I look back, it, it that was a huge reason of why I, I couldn't get the results or I kept getting injured more is because I would, I don't know, like I just kept having these nagging injuries once I came back from my back. Like I would break my wrist and then just try to come back and do something stupid. It, it Just little nagging things just kept, you know, compounding to eventually just me being over it, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think the, 
there'd be nothing scarier in life than a, an engine locking up on a supercross track at full speed. Like that, that sound that the bike would make, and then the compl- the feeling of complete like helplessness like you can't rev the bike you've got no control over it in the air and then you can have those crashes where you're like stuck it's like you just there's it's almost like gravity doesn't exist you can't put a hand out you can't like you can't tuck you're just completely stuck and that feeling would be so fucking gnarly (laughs) to have that in your mind as you're like right on my back's healed and we're going first day testing on this brand new bike at the same place where i like dude so, most people yeah. will never experience a trauma like that and then the trauma of laying on the ground and then the trauma of like i had one i had a crash where i, I fractured my hip and then i like uh, i had i had actually so much swelling around my I did like a degloving injury where like the skin comes off your muscle and it was like on my lower back and my glute and I had so much blood that like filled up inside my body that it actually put pressure on my spinal cord. So I went into hospital and I, it was like all kind of hip pain. But then over the next like few days, I stopped feeling my legs and I started, you know, like you see people that can walk again after they've hurt their back and they got like that drop foot. And I started like, I was like dragging my foot and dude, like the mental anxiety that I had in those days, just like watching my foot like get worse and worse. And then I finally, I was living by myself at the time and I was just like in my apartment alone. <laughs> They're like, dude, I'm like going to be paralyzed. So then I like ended up going to my parents' house because I was like, dude, I don't want to like not be able to walk down the stairs. Like I actually need to go. So then I went, my mum was like, she's freaked out. She started crying when she saw me walk and took me to the hospital. And like the anxiety of like sitting in that MRI, just being like, have I fucked my life right now? So that was this slow, gradual thing that happened for a week. All that emotion would have happened within like the space of minutes when you were laying there, not being able to feel your back. Like I just, I can't comprehend the trauma (laughs) to that goes on like during that and then after it when you have to go back and do the exact same thing yeah and i remember laying there and uh waiting for the ambulance to come and i was screaming just like i'm gonna be in a wheelchair like i can't feel my legs i was screaming at my brother like pingree was there my mechanic they were freaking out and they couldn't like even come around me because they just didn't want to see it you know yeah and once the bat once they the ambulance got there they put me in the backboard and as soon as I put him in the backboard, like something released in my spinal cord and I felt my foot and I'll never forget that. Cause I'm like, I'm like, Jeremy, my brother, I'm like, Jeremy, am I moving my foot right now? And he looks and he's like, yeah, you're moving. And from then on, like I had a smile, you know, like I'm like, I don't yeah. give a shit what happened to my back or how bad it is right now. I'm moving my foot. So I'm going to walk again. And I remember that I'm just like, thank you so much. Like I remember just like being so grateful for that time in the ambulance of, of feeling my toe and I never stopped moving my foot from then, from then on, you know, and, uh, it was a lot cause like I had a 12 hour surgery and they had me on my face on the surgery table for so long that I had a scar right here from it rubbing on the table. Really? And it's gnarly. Cause I remember that. I remember like picking that scab and I'm like, why do I have a scar here? And I'm like, Oh, it's cause I was on the surgery table for 12 hours. And then um, spending a month at a rehab facility and them teaching me how to get in and out of bed, like as a par- paralyzed person. And I hated that, you know, like, I'm like, no, like, don't teach You're like, me. Don't this. talk to me like, like that. I'm, yeah. 
no. And I'm like, I don't want that. Like, this is only temporary. Like, I'm going to walk. And I remember, like, I did everything to just get on a walker and just, like, stumble out of the room. I did not want to be in a wheelchair, you know. And um, little things like that. It's, it's gnarly to think about that shit that I went through and, and learning how to, like, walk, literally walk again. And I'm, I'm, it's crazy how it all eventually came back for, but for two months I was, I could barely walk around, you know, it was like a stumbling using a walker, a cane, stuff like that. But yeah, it's gnarly. And then, you know, I have these, these other injuries and it seems gnarly, but it's nothing compared to what I went through. So all these little nagging injuries or broken wrists, like it, it doesn't, like, I'm just like, yeah, it'll heal. You know, like I'm thankful yeah. that it, <laughs> I don't have to go through that, you know, again. So it's gnarly. I hope, I hope nobody has to go through that and hearing about, you know, Hartraft a while back at his bike blowing up and then him breaking his back and, and hearing the stories. Like I listened to the podcast and his story of, uh, you know, everything he went through and it just brought me back to that time of, of me. And it was like, damn, like, I know how you feel right now, dude. And, and, you know, just stay positive. And, you know, that's the only thing I would say is like, just keep pushing, like, don't give up, like keep mm. pushing to, to be better each day. Like, don't just be complacent. Like if you do get a spinal cord injury, don't just be like, Oh, I'm going to be in a wheelchair forever. Like, no, just yeah. be the outlier, be the guy that's going to walk, you know? And, yeah. Don't let your mind just shut down. So like I, I get hit up by a lot of people that are paralyzed and you know, they're like, Hey, I love your story. And man, I'm just like, just keep pushing. Like, I know it's been years and, and you're stuck in that, but you know, have hope, keep going. Like, I'm sorry yeah. that that happened. And, uh, so I always, you know, try to talk to those guys and, and try to give them hope to, to keep pushing forward. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, when you have situations like that, it just puts into context how gnarly our sport is. And I mean, it's one of the things like, I think sometimes I kind of feel, sometimes I, I feel like conflicted in the way that I talk about like more pay for riders and like the rider should get more and like the sport needs to change. And I think sometimes I can maybe like I come across like I'm just trying to say shit to start problems or just to get views or like whatever it is. And it's like the real underlying reason for me being so vocal on all this, like I've, I've literally watched people die. And I mean, I've talked about it before. I don't need to get into it, but it's like being around the sport and filming like 15 years. Like I've seen some fucked up shit. Like, I've seen guys in this sport addicted to pain pills. I've seen guys in this sport that go from pain pills to heroin and to crazy shit. I've seen guys lose everything that they've got over uh, getting an injury and not being able to race. Like, I mean, it is no joke what you guys do. And it's one of the things where, you know, I, I just, I just... I really wish that people like, cause I guess what I'm trying to say is like, sometimes we can just breeze over it. Like we just expect you guys to go out there and be fucking psychos and in, in these tracks <laughs> that are just like, we just, it's expected. Like it's what literally what you're signing up to do. But in my head, it's like one of the things where I'm always like, Hey, this is cool and this is fun and they're getting paid to do it. And some of them are getting paid really well. 
But like, if you're out there every single weekend and you're on that stadium floor, whether you're a privateer, like a Cade Clayson that's doing it every single weekend, or a Christian Craig that's getting paid to be on a factory bike, hey, you're taking the same risk. And if you're there week in and week out and you're putting that bike in that main event, you should be getting compensated for the risk that you're taking. And you're taking it for entertainment. You know, like this is a, it's a sport that is in a stadium in front of fans, it's broadcast. So that's these stories and the, and this is just fucking regular, bro. (laughs) You know, like we know so many people that have been paralyzed. We know people that have lost their life. We know people that like Weston Pike, like his life's never going to be the same after an injury that, that he had. So it's like the comments when I talk about this shit and when I'm vocal about it, you get the 50% of people are like, you guys need more money, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the 50% that's like, well, more money's not going to make the sport better. It's going to ruin the sport. Or like, you should be grateful that you're on a dirt bike. It's like, bro, when you work a nine to five, they do not expect you to risk your life every single day. You know? So I think that that's where... Like it's stories like this where I'm, I really, that's why I like want to double down and be like, everybody, let's make sure that we remember when these guys are out there doing their thing, they are risking their lives. And it's not just on the weekend, it's every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the risk versus reward that we take. You know, we, uh, to be like that guy that holds that number one plate up, you got to be willing to put all that shit aside and, and be willing to, you know, possibly get landed on by a lapper or get taken out or, you know, a bike breaking in the air. You just, you got to be willing to, to deal with that and know that it is possible, but also know the upside of it is if, you know, this is what could happen if, you know, you win too. So, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever win that debate of what you were explaining, you know, the, if it's a union thing or, you know, I, like I hear the UFC is kind of going through it too with UFC fighter pay and how fighters are kind of like stepping away because they want the fighters to have insurance. And you can kind of argue that with our sport too. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's going to be an argument that lasts for a long time. And I don't know if, if we'll ever win that one. Yeah. The, um, the, I, I honestly have probably haven't thought about like the rider union thing as much as maybe I should. I think it'd be very, very easy for you guys to organize. And I, when Steve Astafin was talking about it on the podcast, like he just kind of made a lot of sense, you know, like you don't, you just say, you know, like, let's say you go, and I, I don't think it should be just felled, right? Like, I think, why don't you get, why isn't there a writer's union that includes Jeffrey Hurling and, you know, Maxim Renault and Christian Craig and Luke Clout in Australia and, you know, like, isn't, why don't we come together um, and just have, like, just some standards, you know? And, and I think it'd be easy. I think it'd be possible. And after Steve's suggestions, like, yeah, I think it's a way where, you, you know, you just say, like, hey, like, we're, we're sort of looking into doing this. Like, this is just something that, that you know, the guys want to come together. And I think it's even not just, like, for you guys that are on the top tier. Like, I think that you guys could then create like this umbrella that yeah like a guy like Cade Clayson or you know like all of the dudes that are regular 450 main event guys that aren't on factory teams like there's some really really great riders out there now you know um so it's even a way for like the bigger guys to kind of like care 
in a sense for for the the smaller guys of the sport but there's definitely a way where you just say it's coming and it's going to happen in june after the series or whatever and even if it's just like okay we we have a i think for me at least one of the things is um just the tracks like having a guy having a rider that can go like this is dangerous this section like we need changes here we're down to the concrete here whatever it is and then once that person brings a, a topic to whoever then it like it kind of there has to be some kind of action on it like even just little things like that i think can could probably go like a long way yeah and it, there used to be those guys like reed or carmichael would be the kind of the voice for us um of like track change you know like after practice mm. i remember reed would be the guy that would go tell dirtworks like hey you got to go fix this or fix that you know and that's kind of went away now and uh I remember A2 last year, no, A3 with the long set of whoops. <clears throat> like that could have so been fixed. Gnarly, that, that could have been fixed in after practice, you know, after a couple guys went down, but it took till after the main event of a line outside the asterisk truck of riders that went down in that section for them to finally change it. You know, so it's almost like we got to get ahead of it and it's going to take it's going to take more than a rider to kind of change that, but yeah, I'll never forget because, like, I was fine in the whoops. Obviously, I got lucky with that. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I remember seeing so many guys down in that race. And then I heard from, like, M Mookie and AP, and they're like, hey, like, we were standing in the tunnel watching these guys just, just keep cartwheeling. Dude. Yes. And he's like, we had to go out there after this, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, I never really thought about that. You know, like, I was just out doing my thing. But, yeah, so it's little things like that, like, it needs to get fixed before any of that shit happens. You know, like we almost yeah. lost half the pack right there, you know, just in one section. Yeah. That could have been fixed with a after practice before the heat race. They could have just fixed the whoops, made them a little bit tamer where it's more forgiving. But again, uh, yeah, it's just finding the right, the right uh, rider or big name to kind of, I guess, change that. Who would be the guy? Like if, if let's say everyone's listening right now, and they're like, Christian, whatever you say, we'll do. Who would be the guy that you would nominate to to like play that role as maybe like the the voice of that group? So if it was a rider, yeah, and it was like um, right, like let's say at San Diego this weekend they implement your advice. Yeah, I would say I'd give it to to AC because how particular or like. He's so he's well spoken first off and the way he explains stuff. So like I would be like, here, AC, deal with this. You know, like you're gonna explain it better than me. You're gonna tell these guys the right thing and how to do it. Um so I I'd say AC would be the guy to that would handle that the you know, the the best. Dude, that's actually I would not have said AC, but he's brilliant. Like that's actually probably the call that that yeah. they should make. He's such a smart dude, and he's just a guy that doesn't really have an ego in that that sense, you know. Like, and he's he's non like confrontational. It's funny you say Chad. Like Chad's the guy. Like, but Chad's also the guy that loves conflict. Like he's so down to just like yeah. fuck it, <laughs> just put on the walk, be like, oi. <laughs> so yeah. it's like that's probably not like the writers' union kind of guy. So yeah. like. AC, very smart, very diplomatic, not hostile at all. And uh, I just, 
dude, I just think that's the easiest change to make. Like you, you do after X practice when everyone's been on it, you know, you basically just, you say at the start of every, like the riders meeting, you say like, if you've got any issues that need to be addressed before the machines go on the track, before we get into the night program, you meet at this point at this time, Adam is the the representative. You guys can talk to Adam in private. And then at 11.15, you talk to Adam. 11.30, we have our meeting with Mr. Cincerello. And we just work on the the changes, you know? Because, yeah, it's great when you have a guy like Chad that's down to go in there and, and, you know, steamroll him and just say, like, boys, we've got to fucking change this. And he's got weight, so they listen. But it's another thing to just have, like, a process in place. Every single weekend... This is what we do. And sometimes there's no track changes. Sometimes there's no issues. It's we're we're Gucci. And then you stand there for five minutes. No one shows up. And then you go happy days. But it's like when there are those times where you need that voice, like you said, a three last year, that was one of the craziest main events I've ever seen. Like just to watch a main event. I've spoke about it so many times, but like to watch a main event, go down to these two guys of Ando and Tomac and basically, yeah. the guy who wins the main event is the guy that sends the whoops the longest into the main yeah. event. That's that's who wins. And and Ando just like got his dick out and just swung it <laughs> through that section <laughs> until Eli was like, put it away, bro. I'm done. All right. <laughs> you know, I'm not. <laughs> Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I ain't gonna fire, I get it. That doesn't happen that often. No, that's true. It's like you got to be willing to to send it. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it bites you. But Anderson, I love because he's like he's going to ride the same way every time, you know, like he's going (laughs) to send it and he's it's either going to work or he's going to go into the hay bales, you know, and uh, it's funny because these are the guys I'm racing now. But uh, I love like taking pieces from each guy and, and trying to implement it to my kind of style and 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 stuff like that like like i love i've said it before but i love ac's way of how he pushes through the rhythms like no one else can push the rhythm like him and how fast he can get through rhythm and the style he does it i love tomac's aggression but he's the only one that can kind of ride that aggressive you know i love the way anderson turns with his rear wheel and and leans you know um i love kenny's technique and how smooth he is you know so it's like i'm a i'm racing these guys but i'm also learning you know it's cool to Mm. each week and i'll go back and be like damn like kenny did that or you know tomac was doing that like i I gotta try that i gotta try to do it but yeah no it's super cool and the sport's never been healthier in that sense and that's why dude if i was at a1 and i got to talk to you after the race i would have been like oi bro read the list <laughs> read, read the names of the people that beat you like you just yeah. 
you just fucking killed it, essentially. It's like, yeah, maybe you weren't as far up as you thought you'd be, but, like, just read the list, bro. Like, to lose to those guys on on one night is, like, I get it. I, I get it. I get how you can lose yeah. <laughs> to those guys. Yeah. But, uh, so that race, I'm, uh, obviously, I was kind of riding like shit. And I, so I wasn't watching the pit board. I'm just, like, doing my thing, you know, going through this 20 minutes. I'm just, like, I feel like shit just do your laps ride i'm battling with dino the entire time if you go watch his vlog we go back and forth <laughs> yeah. 20 times and i'm yeah. i'm just laughing in my head because i'm like we both look like complete goons like we're both riding like shit but then i remember uh going by and i'm like i'm battling with joey and there's like marvin's like right there i could see him and i'm like oh, i'm probably not that bad and then my guy gives me p14 i'm like oh my god like I'm P14 right now. <laughs> and so I start getting mad at myself. I'm like, P14, what am I doing? You know? And, and then, uh, me and Dino are battling for 13th, like almost taking each other out. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Like, all right, this is, uh, it's kind of an awakening for me, but, uh, yeah, I just got to learn and try to adapt and, and start up front with those guys. I think it was just a freight yeah. train. And if you, kind of get stuck in the back you're stuck there you know it's it's hard to get forward and a1 was gnarly obviously track conditions and people going down everywhere but i just remember seeing my pit board and seeing p14 and i was battling to the death with dino and i'm just like jesus is gnarly you know this is just <laughs> yeah, crazy yeah. <laughs> yeah welcome to the 450s bro where where fourth a battle for 14th is like just life or death gnarly gnarly and like i almost want to stop after dino and talk to him just be like dude I don't know what we were doing out there. I know you probably felt like shit. I felt like shit, but geez, like that was gnarly, you know? So <laughs> How funny would it be if the me the mechanics both just lined up both of your pit boards and were like, get it together, boys. <laughs> and then you both just are like, For real. all right, I'm not going to pass you. You don't pass me. You just start riding good and I'll start riding good behind you. And then once we ride good, then we go for the battle. Yeah, it's like we couldn't we couldn't help ourselves out. Like, I was in the front of him. I would stall it or do something stupid. He'd pass me, and then he would cross rut and almost eat shit, and then I'd pass him back. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what is going on right now? You know, so – and it's crazy. This, Yeah, it's nuts how a 450 main, there's so many guys, and anything can happen, you know. And I just need to put my – like I said, I need to put myself in a good situation. I need to – at least start up there with those guys give myself a you know a chance, a chance. and see what i could do yeah, yeah it's like yeah. starting in 15th I'm, I'm i'm stuck you know it's especially yeah, with, you with how deep done. the field is yeah yeah so, uh, we'll see. you go back to you go back to a3 last year like what a difference it makes like, i'm sure you go into that main event and you've got that long ass chaos chaos whoop section and you're just like oh <laughs> Easy money, baby. <laughs> easy money. And then, like, you go fast forward a year and you're just like, this is not easy money, dude. I earned every oh bit gosh. of that $300 payout for 14. <laughs> no, it's like, I remember, so everyone crashed in that main A3 last year. And at one point, my, my mechanic said plus 28. And I'm like, plus 28 <laughs> seconds? No way. Like, 28 seconds? No way. And now I'm sitting here battling in the back, you know, trying to just get in the main or whatever it is. But geez, what a what a change of events. But um, I guess that's what happens, you know. I just got to adapt and and try to be better next week. It's gnarly. 
how how good did it feel to be riding so good over those last couple of years? Like you had the sickest bike and you were just riding so fucking good. Like objectively, even you, you take away all the rate, like take away racing, take away gate drop, just like you riding a supercross track and, a, and especially a supercross track with a gnarly set of whoops. It's just, it's insane to watch how how good you can look on a motorcycle and in those like years of star like it must have been i know there was so much anxiety that you go through to like win a championship and to you know everything that you went through but when it when you got it right on that bike on those tracks and it like you said plus 28 like that is such a crazy feeling i'm sure oh it's crazy and like last year it was it felt like almost nothing can go wrong i didn't want to say that in a bad way but like I would start fourth and second lap, I'd be, you know, battling for the lead. Um, and people could probably going to comment on this. I'm just a sandbagger. I'm 30 years old in the class, but I've also had some shitty years too, you know? So yeah, to yeah, have a year yeah. like that, to have a year like that was huge for me, you know, like finally knowing I could fit in and believe. And it was like no stress, just, I'm going to, you know, put myself in a good position and, and try to win this race. And, yeah, it's crazy. It's like I blinked and we were at Salt Lake and, you know, uh, it, the rest was a blur pretty much. But it went by quick, but it was such a, a fun year, too, with the team just because, you know, we had the red plate from round one to the end. And, and from the year before when I lost it and then I got hurt, like I wanted to straighten that stuff out. And I did that, you know, so I accomplished that little yeah. thing of being healthy all year, putting myself up front, holding the red plate not break like buckling under pressure just little things like that that i set goals and actually accomplished them you know so that was a huge you know weight off my shoulders oh dude i can't even imagine and how good was it to be on that bike like we talked about the 08 pc thing it's like you you hear townley talk about that bike and he basically says it's legal cheating and which is crazy when you've got like hrc and glyco and these everyone's spending crazy money and crazy r&d hours to to make the best bike and then you've just got this other bike over here that's like legal cheating and it almost feels like star maybe not as much this year but last the last few years it almost just seems like star basically had a 450 in the 250 class yeah yeah and uh I remember outdoors, I was on the 450 and the 250, like down a straightaway when we were practicing would almost pass me, you know, I'm just like, geez, that thing is fast, but it's huge. Cause, uh, like when I did sign with the team, I knew how, like, obviously you hear about the bike and you know, it's going to be amazing. So it almost like, it gives you so much confidence before you even get on it. And so then you ride it, you're obviously like, damn, this thing's badass, And just, uh, obviously it all kind of was just like a perfect storm for me. Like I, I didn't test much. I pretty much ran the same setting all year. I just believed in my bike. You know, I believed in myself, believed that my setup was the best for me. And I think that's why I rode like I did. Yeah. And was it, was it just a fun bike to ride to? Like when you go, when you, cause I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that there's guys that they like struggle with the, the, bike that they're on and then you've got you go to the track and like i imagine coop last year like he was pretty open with 
how you know he was like kind of struggling with the bike i mean it's just like it's just like having a shitty co-worker <laughs> like someone that, mm-hmm. that goes you just go to work every day knowing you're gonna have like this dickhead dude <laughs> that you've got to deal yeah. with and then like on the flip side of that it's like you're on a star yamaha 250 in in 2020 and 2021 it's just like you're working with the best homie <laughs> the, yeah. the whole time and uh you know you just know every day at work's gonna be like a good day in a sense yeah no it was awesome two years obviously uh it went well for me good group of guys badass bike um and it got me to get me that factory 450 ride you know like that was my my end goal is to get to where i am at today and now it's time to take advantage of that you know so spent a lot of years uh obviously in 250 class and and trying to get that 450 ride but we're here now i'm not gonna you know, no complaining. Uh, I'm just, I'm pumped to be on a factory bike, have a good group of guys, um, working with, you know, obviously legendary trainer and man, it's, uh, just gotta take advantage of it, you know, and just have fun with it. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that like the 450 thing and you mentioned Alden, how cool is it to be on that program? There's, it's so polarizing and there's probably times where like I get worried that Alden thinks that I don't like him or I'm always trying to like push like a narrative about it. I actually love that dude. I think he's one of the coolest, most interesting people in the sport. He's extremely nice guy and extremely good at what he does. Uh, it's just, there's a, I guess like a life cycle of people that they come and they go and they you know everyone's kind of got their mm-hmm. opinion but i can imagine with everything that you've been through during your career and like the training and the under training and the over training and the overthinking or the underthinking to to just be able to trust a dude like alden to be like hands off the wheel baby you tell me a jump i'll say yeah. how high and and we're good yeah yeah it's gnarly because you look at the history with him and like you go to his house and he's got all these guys, his helmets and you look at the riders he had, um, and say like, I'm, a, I'm earlier in my career. I, I probably would, it probably would have been a lot harder than it is now, but I yeah. expected a lot of this, the work that he's going to, you know, want out of us and, and all that. So I feel like I'm handling it good, but he definitely, um, you know, he definitely expects a lot out of you. You know, it's uh, it's a lot of work, and he's got you know five of us to to try to manage, and there's always one of us that are either uh, you know, dealing with something. But um, you know, I put I put my full trust in him, and and I believe that he will get the best out of me. You know, and and uh, it's it's cool though, cause I've always wanted to to work with him, and so when I signed with Husky, that was that was one of the things is. I was like, I want that, you know, I want to make sure I'm with him in his shop. I know he's got two shops and, and I think Dino was with the 250 guys. And I don't know if that was up to him or Alden or how that worked, but I wanted to make sure I was one of Alden's guys. And, um, luckily that worked out and yeah, I mean, it's still new with, with him and we're still, uh, learning each other, but so far it's, uh, it's been good. It's a lot of work. It's, uh, he expects a lot out of you, but, um, uh, at my stage right now in my career, like I enjoy training. So it's fun for me, like to go on these, these bike rides and, and pin it or, or the gym. Like I, 
I enjoy that part of it where I could see some other guys where, you know, they don't want to do that and, you know, they dread it, but I'm, uh, I'm stoked that when I wake up, I can go on a, you know, hour and a half bike ride instead of going to, you know, work on a house or anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Was it, was it like a, let's, let's go like Alden Instagram meme, like expectate expectations versus reality. Like how does it line up in terms of what you thought it would be versus what it actually is? So from the outside looking in, it looks like it would be gnarlier, you know, like it really? looks like f- for me, like I was always, I was kind of like timid. I'm like, Oh shit. Like, you know, you bring your best every day. And, um, and it's not like he's easy. Like, uh, there's been days where he just looks at me. He's like, you can go better. You know, you could be better than that. And I could take that one of two ways. I can kind of be like, well, you know, screw this, you know, my bike sucks, but I'm just like, I know Alden, like I could be better. And I rode like shit that moto, you know? So, um, it's all about like how you take his wording and he's very straightforward. Like he's not going to sugarcoat it at all. Like he's there Mm -hmm. to make you better and that's it, you know, like, and you get the work done, you do the reps in the gym, you do the laps and you know, he'll be pumped with you. So no, it's been good. Like, um, I got a little taste of it with Swanee. Like that was kind of my first real training coach and, and all that for those two years at star. And so that I feel like that helped me, um, almost prepare me for Alden in a way, even though they're, you know, they're two separate mm. and they do their own things. It's still just knowing that coach and, and putting your trust into him, you know? And what's the, what's the dynamic been like in terms of, cause I think this was one of the things that Ando didn't enjoy is the fact that like he's a really fast practice guy too like he he's a guy that throws down when it comes to practice so i think when you talk to him about it he was like well i felt like i was racing marv in the championship and i was racing these guys in the championship and i'm like literally teaching them how to ride i could i couldn't i couldn't hide any of my a game it was just on display for those guys every day and he felt like he was responsible for like pulling those dudes along so in that sense i'm like "Mm, okay i like that that makes sense that that could be something that you'd be worried about like do you have any of that kind of like dynamic or you could see how that could not work for some people but it's something that like you enjoy because you can either be the rider that's pulling people along or you can be the one that's getting pulled along so i guess it just depends on like where you're at in the in the program yeah yeah it's uh i think it's all about your ego (laughs) like putting that thing aside and understand like if malcolm smokes me i gotta be okay with it you know uh, it's it's practice and where's he being better than me i need to go fix that and or you could be the guy that's like you know screw this like malcolm shouldn't be beating me like f this i don't want to be here i want to be on my own i need i need all the attention on myself and i'm not like that like i'm like if malcolm smokes me or cooper passes me in a moto um i'm gonna go up to him give him knuckles you know it's like dude dude you wrote you you hauled ass that motor like you blew by me in that rhythm or that turn like i'm the guy that's like i put my ego aside um know that if they're faster me that that's it you know so um it's easy for me because yeah like i said just you drop the ego when you when you pull into those gates um and just try to do your best and if that's you know you're pulling the guys or you're getting pulled it's uh you try to learn from it some days you're the hammer some days you're the nail 
<laughs> yeah, and I was a lot of times that I was a nail because uh, it was like <laughs> new for me. It was it was a new program, new bike, and new tracks. And so these guys are all on their second year or longer, you know, and they yeah, kind of know that they know like the tracks and how they break down and I didn't. And so I kind of got thrown into it, you know, like, um, you got to know when the whoops are beat up enough to start jumping. So I was sitting there blitzing when jumping was way faster. So I'm just getting like, I'm like, where, where is this guy beating me? And they're like, Oh, he's going three, three, four in the whoops. And I'm like, oh, shit, like, well, I need to be better at knowing when yeah. to stop blitzing and jumping, you know? So little things like that. Um, and it's cool, good dynamic with with the boys right now. Like AP is always funny as hell. Like always yeah. coming in with with good vibes. Mookie's always funny too. Um, RJ and Cooper a little bit quieter, uh, but obviously I respect those those guys. And it's been fun. It's like like I said, it's early on for me. I have a two year deal with these guys, and you know we're gonna have a lot of a lot of uh, days together. So we'll see. Nah, it's cool, man. And uh, I think going back to the A1 vlog too, to see to see the way that Alden just kind of walks in and it's like he's just been there and he's done it so many times and you're feeling the way that you're feeling. And like he, he would have the ability now to just be so detached from an emotional level and just give it to you exactly how it is in the moment. And that, and he's not on the team and he doesn't have a boss that's kind of hanging over his head. Like his whole deal is just to like get the best out of you. Yeah. You know, he's not like, and he's not thinking like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do for a rider next year? Cause he sucks. <laughs> like there's none of that yeah. shit is entering yeah. into the picture, you know, like he can just really give you the advice that you need to hear to, to help you out. And I think, uh, that's something that is a part of his program. Like, yeah, you could copy the workouts. Yeah. You could, you know, do the same program. Yeah, you could have the facility. But there is something quite special about the level of psychology that that he understands and especially top-tier 450 championship-level mentality. Like, there's just... He's the Belichick of of <laughs> our sport when it comes to being that guy on the ground at the night, you know? Yeah, and he... Like, he can look into my eyes and know... Like, he knew I was struggling. Like, he didn't even have to... He didn't have to ask me what was going on. Like, he saw in my eyes that it was, you know, I was almost mentally defeated. So he tries to, you know, fix that. And he, he did that multiple times for me in the off season. Um, and he flips that switch and he's like, you know what? Like you keep it simple. Like all that thinking has got to go out the window. You just ride your bike. Like I did, like you did every day at the farm or at the, the track. Um, it's very simple for him. You know, it's like consistency, be there, do your laps, and uh yeah the rest is uh it's up to you yeah uh and th another cool thing a person that he i don't think he's got the shine that he deserves yet i think it's coming uh is nate ramsey so when i was uh, in america with jdr nate dog was the the team manager and I've always called him like my American dad. Like I was just such a write-off kid, bro. Like when I got there, I was like literally the worst. Like there was so many times where I like hadn't booked a flight for the race and just, you know, like partied all night and sharing a room with him and like just being just a complete write-off of a kid. And he was the nicest, most epic human to me. And, you know, we spent a lot of time with, with him and his wife, Monica, 
and yeah. I was I mean dude I, I even used to get up in the morning go to the gym with him and do weights and stuff and like he's just such a I feel like you and him are a really great combination like I see a lot of of you in him and I think that for you having a guy like him as a mentor and or a, as a you know the a boss essentially in in some aspects you know like I think that's a really good recipe like you two guys and I, I actually just don't think the wider motocross community understands how great of a guy Nate Ramsey is and yeah. what kind of an asset he's going to be to that program. Yeah, it's funny because I was telling him I was coming on here and he's like, oh, yeah, Jace used to work for me. I'm like, oh, JDR days. And he's like, yeah, but then uh, he's like, he's a good guy. Uh, so that's cool. Like uh, you guys have some history, but it's been cool. Like with Nate, um, he was a big part with like dealing with the contract stuff. Like he was the first one to call me um, about, you know, giving me an offer. And so it's been super easy and like very easy to deal with. Um, and obviously like he's been through it all. And I like to, I like to go through guys or like talk to guys that have been through it. Like if I'm, if Mm. I need help on the track, I want to know it from someone that has been through it. And Nate has done that. You know, he's been one of the best he's struggled. He's, he knows the ups and downs of the sport. And so to have a team manager like that, it's huge. And, um, you know, a one was obviously our first race together and he, he got to see the good and bad side of, you know, my mentality. And, um, I feel like he handled it well and, um, very positive, always trying to keep a good, you know, mental state in the truck, try to keep everyone positive. And it's been fun so far. It's early on, but, um, I've known Nate for so long, I think since I was a little kid and, um, always been very relish, well-respected in this, you know, in this sport. Yeah, I think, and I just think from like a, a moral perspective and just as a, as a person, like, I think that he's a guy that when you're around him for long periods of time, you can't help but take on board some of his values and the way that he carries it. Like, he's just such like a, I mean, he's just such like a good, a good solid human, like at every part of his life that you look at, you know, like fitness wise and his relationships and the way he communicates with people and his positive, like he's just one of those people where you, you spend enough time around him with an open enough mind. And I just, I don't, I think you can't help but get like better as a person. And, and I just think back now to like, just how I was, (laughs) in those days at jdr and for him to have like the kindness and the patience and the like he always gave me so much respect like if i had me working for me back then i'd be like this kid's an idiot like this kid's actually an idiot like why why is he here yeah no it's been good and i know he's got a lot on his plate like he's got to manage each one of us and the mechanics and all that and i feel like you know, that was his first year last year with it and he did good, you know, from the outside looking in and it's been nothing but, you know, easy so far. And, um, I try to just keep it simple. Like I'm not, I'm not a guy that's always asking for a lot of things or, or needy. Like I try to keep it simple and, and just have fun. You know, it's dirt bike racing at the end of the day. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, that's it. Uh, so when, with the, the star stuff, like you were kind of able to see, I guess really behind the scenes being on that program for a couple of years, racing the 250 um, and then the 450. I think one of the coolest things or the biggest things that, that happened over there in the last couple of years is 
Like they've got, they won the outdoor championship. They won. I mean, they were already winning a bunch of lights titles. You give them a lights title. Then they sign Eli Tomac and Hayden Deegan. So it's like, they're just, just seems like they just got, it's like they won a really good hand of poker and then they just get like all the, all the chips, you know? So it's like, what, yeah. what was it like to kind of just be around and just like watch how they moved and the way that they brought people onto the team and then the way that there was, you know, they could, they kind of just gave Tomac like an open slather of like, all right, just get the bike how you want it, get it to do what you want to do. And then, you know, then the foresight to bring like Hayden on, like, was it crazy to just be a part of that organization during that time period? It was, it was. And like I said, my brother is, is high up at the, on the team. Now he's been around on that team for a long time and now he manages the 450 side. Um, so I got to see the back end of, the whole Eli thing, you know, of the negotiations and hear about that stuff. Um, and it was cool. Like, and then seeing him kind of like revive his career, even though he's been very dominant, like revive, not revive his career, but revive like his love for the sport, you know, like Mm. before he was very, like he would go to the track and do his work and leave. And for a while there, like it was just almost like he was a robot, but, um, it worked for him and so be it. But, when he came to start, he was open to training with like, or doing motos with the Swanee crew, mm. you know? And it was like, you seen him laughing and like enjoying it. And I was like, Oh, that's, you know, that's a dangerous Eli. Like he's going to dominate and look what he went and did, you know? And so, and then with Hayden, um, he came out and tested the bike. And I think like the next week I heard, you know, he signed. So it was like, it's, I think he saw what was, you know, what's there, what they have available, what they can do and how dominant they are, you know, it's, it was a no brainer. So, um, obviously they have, they can do a lot of stuff and, and get you comfortable on the bike. And, um, you see it with Eli now. So nothing but respect for that whole team. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what they've done. And it seems as well, like there's, there's always those like, uh, well-kept secrets in a sense on a team like pc had a motor guy that was insane for a period of time and you know you kind of like you hear there's guys at factory connection and there's guys that sort of like almost have secret sauce that they can like sprinkle and it actually makes a difference and I i feel like gilmore probably doesn't get like his name probably doesn't get thrown around that much but when you yeah when you like talk to a bunch of people at star and you just see how good the, the, the bikes are and how good they handle and to take Yamaha that was like famously a piece of shit to the bike that has just like won everything that it seems like that, you know, Gilmore and the suspension team there, like they have quite a big role to play in, in like not just Eli's success, but you know, like that whole team doing so well. And yeah, like people don't really, it seems like people don't really talk about Ricky Gilmore that much. Yeah, no, he's a good guy. Um, I used him. He was more on the 450 side, so I used him for the outdoors, and he would build yeah. my stuff, and I, I don't think I touched the setting. You know, like I got comfortable, and that was it for the whole year. Really? Like, it's cool because he, he used to race too, and so he was uh, he knows yeah, he what, fast. like when I explained to him, like he knows my moto lingo when I explain like what the bike's doing. You know, I'm not going to be like, hey, if I do two clicks, this is going to do this. Like, I just explain it differently. Like, hey, it's it's um, it's um, getting super wallowy here and deflecting here, and he knows what that means, you know? So uh, stuff like that. But I think every team kind of has that guy where you can kind of put your trust in where 
with WP now I have Todd Brown and he's like, I've known him for a long time. Um, and he's kind of similar to where he knows that lingo and, um, but yeah, going back to Gilly, he's, he's awesome. It's cool to be around. I know he's kind of Eli's right, right hand man. Um, and Eli puts, you know, a lot of trust in him. And it just seems like no one really talks about him. Like he just fully flies under the radar. No one really like link, links it up, but you know, you kind of, it's like one of those, if you know, you know, type of deals. And I'm like, I don't know, yeah. maybe, maybe people need to, maybe people need to know that there's like this Aussie dude that's there just like working in the, in the background. That's just a bit of a savage. <laughs> that's like really yeah. helping some dudes go fast. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I don't, I think that's probably the way he is. Like he likes to be kind of off to the side and not in the spotlight. And that's just how he is. You know, he's just a good dude and he wants to help the the guys he supports. So it's, um, it's good to know him for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's super cool with, with the Hayden thing. So this is one thing Paige actually, um, mentioned to me that would be cool to talk about, which I actually, I didn't really know. I don't know how many people know, but you seem to be like a bit of a surrogate father to a bunch of, of riders. So she said that you had like Chase Sexton came and lived with you yeah. guys. And then uh, you had, um, she mentioned some other people, but then it was like kind of Hayden over the last you know year or whatever. Yeah. So I think my wife's very welcoming. I think that's a big mm. part of uh, like, she can talk to anybody. And so when these like my teammates, like when she comes to the track, she's obviously saying hi to everybody. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't shy away from anything and she'll get to know you. Um, and so with Chase, Chase, uh, I was working construction at the time in Minnesota and he's from Illinois. And so that's pretty close. And we would always, I would see him at this indoor little supercross track in the winter time. And I'm like, damn, this kid rips. Like he's on a Yamaha. He just got on two fifties. And so I told my father-in-law, I'm like, Hey, like you gotta, you gotta sign this guy. Like he's fast. Hmm. He's going to be so good. And so he gets a hold of him. I get the numbers. I get them, uh, talking. And next thing you know, he's, he's a guy code kid. And now you look at him and I'm just like, geez. And, uh, <laughs> so I saw the, I saw from the beginning to where he is now. And I'm just like, damn, that's, that's pretty cool. Like I kind of helped, like he had the talent. He was going to get it right either way, but I helped kind of Honda get him in a way. And then you go to uh, like Hayden was, was a big, uh, a big one for us. Like he had no family when he signed with the team to, when he would come down to Florida, like they lived in California and they're moving to North Carolina. And so Paige offered, you know, that he could stay with us and we knew him, but not that well. And um, you know, next thing you know, he's, he's living with us and, um, babysitting the kids <laughs> and, uh, no, he's a good kid. Um, and, and everyone that kind of stays with us and the riders that they all, you know, nothing but good things to say about them. Hay Hayden's been, uh, it's been awesome. He's like a little brother for sure. So you're going to see him shine here soon. Like he's, he's going to be a multi-time champion for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it just, yeah, it seems like we can almost look at the next, six years of the sport and you know if everything goes well it's like you can see jet's about to move to a 450 hayden's about to go to the lights class and then the next like six years of our sport is basically going to be watching jet do his thing 
and the rivalry like that he's going to have in the 450s and then everyone's going to be like wait till Hayden gets on a 450 and then Jet's going to yeah. be like kind of you know like in his prime as Hayden makes his debut like the sport just with like those two guys you know like obviously you've got everybody else that you throw in the mix but it's like just those two guys we've got six years of like some exciting times and and it's been it's been cool for me to I guess get to know Brian a little bit through like doing the podcast and we 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 just we have like a lot of cool conversations because he's doing the media content not media but the yeah. content game too yeah. uh and so like we're kind of always talking and and it's just it's really cool to hear about the way that uh i guess like other people speak about hayden and then you hear it from yourself and you hear like there's a there's a reason why people talk about him and there's a reason why there's this expectation is because I mean you can see it you know you see a ride like Minio's where he comes from last and you know it's like a that's a crazy ride to to do you know they've got sun in your eyes it's late the track's gnarly like yeah. you could easily settle for a, a result but you've got a kid that's out there sending it and you know to win that race and then you just you kind of like get a preview into his soul in a sense you're like oh that kid's a dog like he's actually yeah a little dog that has a bone right now and he ain't letting go and it's like they're the guys yeah. that you, then you hear the stories about like genie carmichael talking about like oh man this kid's like got something special and a guy like yourself so it's all that like behind the scenes stuff that the front facing like it doesn't get shown to people but it's yeah. like the people in the know really see the that side of it yeah with hayden he's very like polarizing that whole family you know and if you don't know them personally you can kind of look at them a little bit differently and be like oh you know they have it all he's kind of spoiled and and blah 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 and kind of hate on it but if you know them the the family and the dynamics of them and how they run everything it's it's pretty impressive and uh it's funny because i went to minio's my kid was racing and i went there and we hung out with hayden and stuff and you can see like the kids that race him they race him differently and i think mm. that's because of because of pop his popularity and his youtube and his following but the, the kids that race him don't like him you know like they, they want to beat him so bad and and when they see him come around, it's pretty funny, but they all of a sudden they start getting really de defensive. And I saw that firsthand. I'm like, geez, like these kids like race him way differently than anybody else. And it's because of his name, you know, but he backs it up. You know, like he's not just a guy with a million YouTube followers. He backs it up and goes and dominates and smokes these guys. So um, I'm always like, dude, like I'll probably never race you. Like by the time you get to 450, I'm going to be old and, and done. But um it's cool to watch him like grow and, and get better each time. And um, like how he acts, like he get off from a moto and have all these fans take pictures and stuff. And, but he'll go pick up my, my four-year-old daughter, you know, like he's super chill like that in a way. He's not, doesn't let it get to his head and that's how it should be. You know, like he's very down to earth and believes in himself and that's, what's going to help him, you know, shine. him when he, when he goes pro. Yeah. And I think, um, the one of the cool things is like he's had so much exposure to cameras and the youtube thing like i laugh when i watch their videos where he's just like like subscribe but like he don't give a fuck yeah. <laughs> like he's so <laughs> bastard at this point <laughs> you know it's like yeah. they're doing their thing yeah. and like that can't like he ain't 
it's different. Like it hits different when you're the writer that's like DMing the filmer, like, "Hey man, can you send me those clips? Like, yes. did you get any cool shots today? Or like, yeah. do you want to come out and film?" He ain't doing none of that shit, bro. Like the no. filmer is just there twenty four seven. The camera's in his face. He don't have to think about it. And at this point, he's like a sixteen year old kid that is just like he don't give a fuck. Like the level yeah. of chill that he would have around that. Like he wouldn't. He probably wouldn't even notice if a camera was or wasn't there. So it's like when you get to that level, I actually think that's like kind of cool. And I think that it was it was one of the things that early days when the Hayden Deegan hype train started coming before I knew them and before I'd you know spoken to Brian and Hayden I looked at it I was like that's a bad thing for a kid to have a camera in his face like that right from the outside looking in but then when you see it play out over the years I'm like oh you've just totally desensitized this kid to cameras to where like any issue that could have come from that like he actually doesn't care anymore yeah like he's when he gets to the big stage, it's, it's going to be nothing for him. You know, he's going to, he's got a camera with him at all times, a camera guy. And it's like, it's just normal for him, you know? So it's almost going to play in his favor in his career. You know, I think so. Um, some guys, you know, they get to the big stage, they start doing good. They start getting noticed and they start acting differently where he's himself no matter what, you know? So I think, uh, Brian's got a big plan for them and, um, yeah, so far so good for him. Yeah, what what's it like from a writing perspective? Because it's not like he's so good that if he went to, you know, well, like he did, he got what he got smoked his first pro race, like like you should, yeah. right? So it's like yeah. there's areas where it's not like he's just this phenom that's going to come in and just like walk all over everybody. And I think that sometimes there's like a weird expectation when a guy's that good, but you look at Jet, right? Jet's first few races pro went literally the exact same as Hayden's. Like even to down to his like his results were pretty similar, you know? So it's like we have this yeah. weird distorted view of like what somebody like him is going to come in and do. But the reality of being on that gate for your first full season pro, like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to do some dumb shit. Those mistakes could compound into even dumber shit. Like it's just, there's a, a part of it. Uh, but when you're like riding with him and watching him do the motos and like, or you're doing motos and you're like catching him, can you see stuff where you're like, bro, you're way too aggressive. You're way too throttle happy. Like you need to chill. Like, can you see a bunch of areas where like he can and will improve? Oh, for sure. And the number one thing is his revving. I don't know what his deal is with his revving his bike, but I always you know, send him a text. I'll watch his video and I'll send him a text right away. I'm like, what are you doing? Shift your bike. Like that bike is plenty fast, dude. I promise you, if you shift it, you're going to loop it out. And it's just, I think it's just the way he rides. Um, but I think he has Swanee that works on him with that. And that is something he'll eventually adapt to. But, uh, he wants to almost go so fast that it, it holds him back. Like he sprints so hard that he makes too many little mistakes. So he's got to fine tune that to where it's, it's fast yet consistent, you know, like he can drop yeah. a heater one lapper, like a one lap s- sprint. I think he can hang with anybody, but to do that consistently is just not there yet, but that's going to come with time. So, uh, but the revving thing, like if he's watching this, he knows I just give him crap about revving all the time. And that's <laughs> something that bugs me about any rider. I feel like yeah. <clears throat> unless you're on a bike that's too slow, which 
all the dirt bikes nowadays are pretty fast. You know, like a 450 is plenty of fast. Yeah, the revving, I think it's just unnecessary and you need to use the power and that's, if you shift, you're gonna get more power. And so I think I was always taught on, you know, shift up to go faster. And I think that's why I ride in a taller gear, use more, you know, technique over using the bike power. Yeah, and, and you could see in the, well, the reason why Hayden whipped it, uh, revs his bike so hard is because of Instagram, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it just yeah. is what it is. I say to the That's boys, true. like, the the boys that work here, they're, like, young. They're, like, 18, 20, you know, like, young dudes. And they're all, like, the ge- it's funny watching, like, the generation. Like, my generation is, like, you guys and Barsha and Carmichael and Stu. And, like, I've got, like, this older look. And then I look at the guys that they watch and follow and it's like evan ferry hayden oh. kitchen and i'm just like that's i follow i listen to eminem and you listen to trippy red <laughs> it's like yeah. you yeah. follow the soundcloud rappers of riders and they all just whip and scrub and fucking rev the absolute tits off their bike so it's like it's generational and it's because of soundcloud rap that they ride like that yeah and when I went to Mini O's this year, from Super Mini class to the A class, the amount of revving going on in that Supercross, uh, the Supercross portion of it, I'm just like blown away. I'm sitting there just like listening to these guys never shut off. And like, I almost want to go up to each guy and be like, I can drop you a second if you just shift your bike, bud. And, uh, <laughs> but then like, I'll tell Hayden when he comes back, I'm like, dude, like, Jet doesn't rev it, Roxon doesn't rev it. Like, you can go fast if you don't rev the bike. So it's just something you got to work on. Like, um, I'll rev the bike if I'm pissed, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could see, I was watching a video of you and Hayden doing a moto together and you can see you just don't change. You're just like, it might've been one of your first rides. So you were probably, uh, cruising in a sense as well. But like, I think you're notorious for how smooth and consistent and controlled that, that your riding is. And yeah, you could just see as you got closer, he got looser. <laughs> and he was just like, he'd make a mistake, go in too deep, and then he's got to like recover. And then you, yeah. and that's the thing on dirt bikes, like you make a mistake, you chase that mistake for five, six, seven straightaways. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, most like in practice, teammates or whoever would be like, dude, I didn't even hear you coming up. Like, I didn't know you were behind me because I couldn't hear your bike. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's just how I ride. I mean, maybe I should rev it when I get closer to people, but uh, yeah, so revving, it's never been my thing and it's something that I always, you know, the younger generation try to teach. What do you like, when you picture your ideal self riding, when you picture yourself like looking the best and, you know, racing the best, what are you trying to get out of yourself? Like, what's your goal as a rider to like, if, if I do this, this, and this, like I'm riding good. Uh, I'd probably say like technique is first. Like if I'm hitting my corners good off the clutch, off the clutch is huge. Like if I'm feathering a clutch in corners, obviously I'm not comfortable and, and I'm botching my corners and pausing. So, um, ideal would be pretty much don't use your clutch unless you have to, to get over a rhythm section or something. Um, stand, as much as you can. I think standing is huge, especially in rhythm sections, like standing to push through, um, even in corners is huge and just technique. I think, uh, 
the right positioning. Um, if you put that first in your mind, then I think the rest will follow, you know? Yeah. And, and so what, you know, like you're golfing and you have like a swing thought, you're like standing over the ball and then everyone kind of has like this little, I guess, like heuristic that they're trying to go to in their mind. Do you have like a swing thought when it comes to your riding? That's just like your fundamental, like you think this every time you're on the bike, because there would be so many people, myself included, that would love to be able to ride like you. <laughs> no, it's like, I think it's just the way I've adapt, uh, the way I've rode since I was growing up. Like, this is what I was taught. Like my dad always taught me stand up everywhere. And so that's what I do. And then, you know, I'll watch and take bits and pieces from other riders and kind of adapt that to my style. Um, but I'm always like, I'm never content with my riding. Like I always think I can try to be a little bit better in that corner, a little bit better in the rhythm section. Um, and you got to be okay with making your little mistakes and just getting past it. Like it's going to happen. You're not going to hit it perfect for 20 laps, you know? And so being consistent, um, I always have, you know, I have a talk with myself before I go out every time and how I want to ride, how I want to be on the bike and what I'm going to think about. And so just little things like that mentally that kind of get you in that zone and then you just let it play out yeah yeah no it's always like super interesting and i mean for most average punters that just you know weekend warriors that listen to this i mean i'm not not sure that how many people like think of trying to you know i guess have that little talk with themselves before yeah. a ride or whatever but like it's sort of it can make a pretty big difference right like you kind of go in with an intention and you kind of um yeah for me personally it resonates and i like to try and think about my riding pretty much the whole time um but yeah like it, it can make a huge difference i think like have a plan every time you go out practice or race like if you're going to go mm. do a 20 minute moto or sprint have something you're going to work on like okay um stand in in the corners or uh entry speed into the whoops just have that one thing that you're going to focus on and try to you know attack that um, you're not going to get every single thing right, but if you long, you focus on one thing and try to accomplish that, it's just one thing you try to get better at, you know? So little things yeah. like that, that I've learned that helps me. Um, and then self-talk is huge, obviously. Yeah, dude. Nah, for sure. When, when you go back to that two years where you were just writing for fun, was it the same then, or you kind of could let go of that and you didn't really care how you rode? Or are you still that same guy where like every time you get on the bike, you want to have that same, like it's that same routine, even though there's nothing on the line, there's no race coming up, there's yeah. no ride you're trying to go for. Like essentially you're a weekend warrior at that point. Was it still the same? Yeah, it was like, I never lost that. Like I would go ride just on the weekends and I would still be like, all right, Paige, we're going to, we take my times. So I'm going to do a 20, you know, like. Yeah, I just always yeah. had that in my head. It was weird. Like I couldn't just shut that off and just go whip or if I'm going to do that, I have to go on the Hills where there's no track and just hit like hit dirt yeah. jumps or something like that to completely shut off. But, um, if I'm going to a track, it's always have a plan, try to execute it. And then just little things like that. I just, I'm, I'm so, my brain is so wired to just do that every time, mm. you know? Yeah. It's funny. Like, <laughs> I'm the same in that sense where I just get like real obsessed about that shit to the point where like my brother and my dad, when I was growing up, they're like, that's why you're not having any fun is because you just, 
you're so worried about this, 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 and this. But then I'd like take that to golf and I'd just stand in the backyard with a net and I'd hit a seven iron like a thousand times. And you see like yeah. there's some people just have like that weird gearing in their brain. Casey Stoner's like that. Like dude, you could literally, like he could call you right now and talk to you about lines at A1. <laughs> like he's that, <laughs> like he's just that gnarly. Like, and you go ride with him. And you'll, he'll do do the laps, and then he's like, "Right, we're going up here. We're doing this section. We're gonna get it right." Yeah. And there's like, no, nothing's on the line at all. <laughs> like we're just two vets <laughs> having fun at a local practice track, and he's still like in that that mindset. And it's like, I get it because it's fun for me. I just I feel like that makes it fun, and it makes it feel like there's a point to it, even though you can argue whether there should be a point to riding or not yeah but yeah some people just yeah. like have that gear in them eh? so it's funny that even when you had nothing going on it was still like that yeah i think if, if you set a goal and then they accomplish that like oh i'm gonna go hit that triple and you accomplish it it's just you get that feeling inside of like accomplishing something you know and it's we're so i'm so goal driven that like i always set something and if i achieve that then you know just move on to the next thing but it's good to have that. I think even in life, just have a goal and yeah. try to, you know, try to attack that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was it about riding during those two years that like, how did you fall back in love with riding and, and what was that process? Was it just the fact that you're going to work this construction job and you know, like you, you're probably spending a lot of time working construction but like thinking about your past and you know like everything that yeah. kind of happened and then and then you're kind of like stuck in that zone and then maybe it's like when you get to the track to just ride for fun like it took your mind off everything did it is is it is that what kind of like reignited the love for it i'd say so like just what you said is you go to work and it's kind of monotonous and you go through the motions and when you go to ride there's no other feeling like that. And the adrenaline you get, um, same with racing. It's like the freedom, the, it's so corny, but like, there's just no other feeling like it, you know? And, and, uh, to kind of like have to go out there and not have to worry about anything and be healthy. That was huge for me. Like I could just go out there with my wife and kid and just enjoy it and ride for fun. And then I started doing some local races and then I started seeing, Hey, I still have it. Like I could still go fast. And then, like oh, maybe I still can do it and just keep piecing those things together. And eventually like, all right, let's, let's try this thing out one more time. It, I, I think it's, we're in such a crazy sport too, to where it's like the dream run is expected. You look at guys like Carmichael that just go through their career and they just like, they win every champ. They win every lights championship that they're in. Then they win every 450 championship that they're in, basically. And then they retire and sail off to the sunset. And then you had Villapoto that came and did that. And you had Stewart that came and did that. Like, it's almost like there's guys that have been so successful in this sport that it's like warped our perspective of how it should be done and, and what the status quo is. And it's like we're, we're almost taking the outliers to be the norm and it's just so not the case and for a guy like you i mean you would think that to have two years off you know in the lights in like your lights years that's career suicide like it's fully over you can never come back from that and go work construction for the the rest of your life i, I think it's cool 
I think it's cool that you can take that time and it gives you this like such a renewed energy and a fresh perspective and then like look at what you've been able to accomplish so you know you think about like the the time master pools or the you know like the guys that Carson Mumford's the guys that were like the phenom kids that if yeah. they don't meet that status quo like if they don't win the three the three titles in a row and then go straight to 450 and fucking win their first motocross nations race then you're a loser then like we're done, like you've got no place in the industry so it's, i think it's important that guys like you come along and can show that it's, it's not all beer and skittles and that you know you can you can have a couple bad years and still make a career of this yeah i mean it's like we all want to be like that dunge like dungey you know and how he won i think was it three or four in a row I you know, didn't even like, mention Dungey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like he was the that? most, the most consistent guy, and he was always there. And that's something I like. I always looked up to is his start. Like he was always there and always up front. Um, it's so hard to do though. Like when you're actually trying to do it, and injuries always come into factor, or just stuff like that, and um, like just the work it took to get my to get that title I did, like I can only imagine for those guys, like how much work sacrifice and no wonder they kind of all retired early or early in the age, you know? So it's a lot of stress, um, a lot of work. And uh, I don't know if you're going to get a, a, a dunge like that anytime soon of how dominant he was and always was up front, you know? And just the, so. that he, he wasn't the fastest guy either. Like he was just never the, like people weren't watching him ride and being like, holy shit. Like he is on it. Even though obviously it was like, I remember there was a time at the test track in maybe like 12 or 13, he was the only one on the track and you could, you could be standing in the middle of the track and be on a phone call. Like his bike was that quiet. And like, he'd say, he's like, oh yeah, I just don't even really use the brakes. Like I just kind of like flow around around the track i'm like i'm not on i think it was like whatever layout it was maybe like two or three times on a tupacross track he'd like even touch the brakes and it's just yeah. like he was just such a crazy guy like he he almost like money balled his championships in a sense to where it's like i'm not going to yeah. be the fastest i'm not going to be i'm not going to have the the fastest arm i'm not going to have the best batter i'm not like but i'm just going to win based purely on stats like he was a such a crazy guy yeah and he he's never flashy you know he's but he was always there when it mattered like maybe not early on in the race there was always Stuart like scrubbing and the crowd was going nuts or reed or or those guys but lap 19 and 20 there was done first second or third you know like always on the podium always there consistent and that was someone like i always looked up to and wanted to be like you know and I didn't care if I was the flashiest guy. Like I just wanted to be up front, put myself in a good position and try like be a boring racer, but be good, you know? And mm. so, uh, it's funny. Cause when he came back to outdoors last year, uh, we found each other like almost every a race lot, and dude. he was the same. Yeah. He was the same guy every time. I'm just like, Oh my God, there he is. There's Dunge. And he doesn't make a mistake. Like when I, I would catch him and he would still hold the same lap time and I would mess up and I'd drop back and I'm just like, damn it, Dunge. Like, or like I'd start in front of him and he would just be right on my ass the entire time. 
and that's just done, you know? And, and it was like every round we found each other. It was, it was fun to do now that I look back, but we bought, we battled for fifth in points to the end, you know, the last moto Impala and it was pretty fun to do, but, uh, just so consistent. Like he was always there, you know? I, I don't get like the, just from doing the like motos over the last few weeks, kind of trying to be a trainer, dude, <laughs> be, be the, be the world vet man. And, uh, like, how the fuck do you just race at that level and just not make mistakes for 20, for 20 laps or 30 minutes or just name yeah. the track, name the indoor out, just name anywhere and that guy wouldn't make a mistake. Like, the, no. it's, not even, it's not even like the physicality sometimes that makes a, a moto hard to get through. It's the mental capacity to just stay yeah. in it. Just to stay in the moto, not get distracted, not start thinking about some random shit. And like the level of focus that that dude must be able to just like conjure in his mind. Like that's a crazy skill. Yeah. And like even me, I'll, I'll like get wandered off in a, in a race and outdoors, you know, like 30 minutes is a long time and I lose focus. Like I'll start thinking about random shit or look at the crowd you know just random stuff you're like tripping out you're like whoa i need to start focusing again but dunge like he'll hit the corner the exact same time every lap like he will not make a mistake doesn't doesn't like uh his his body form everything stays the same and he doesn't show an ounce of like weakness or tiredness you know and so yeah dunge is you know one of the rare ones that you know was uh always up front and always looked up to yeah it's funny because that's not exactly respected when it comes to moto like what it's like in ufc like you just want to see blood you don't want to see you don't want to see dudes wrestling on the ground you it doesn't matter how technical it is it doesn't matter how like that's the real skill like to be able to control that person and to be like that's a 205 pound guy that's extremely strong blah blah blah, and he can't get off the ground because of like the technique that this guy has and the crowd's like boo <laughs> we yeah. just fucking yeah. kill him like you just want to see <laughs> that's how i am though <laughs> with ufc yeah. i'm the same yeah. way yeah like p- people i'm wanna, the same way with ufc see the scrubs. yeah yeah like i of course i wanted to see bubba or james the entire time just scrubbing like i always loved going in the stands and watching him in practice you know like that was as a kid uh, growing up Watching him just like cruise around in practice, just pick his lines, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, he's not doing a fast lap. All of a sudden, he throws one down. You're just like, oh, my gosh, you know, and how fast it was and how flashy and the quads he would do. Like, no one else could do it like him, you know, and the the crowd was always had his their eyes on him, and it was it was pretty gnarly. But And so he's like the knockout artist in the, in the yeah. analogy. He's like the he's Conor McGregor. Like ever- yeah, everyone just wants to see like James just throw down, and then yeah, Dunge is like that George Saint Pierre kind of guy that was just like never made a mistake. <laughs> He's like Khabib. Never. He's yeah, like Khabib. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like that is the skill. If you ask James Stewart what he wishes he had as a rider, it was probably more of the Dunge thing. And I wonder. Yep. I just wonder what. Yeah, I wonder what that is. Like, is that just something that he just cultivated for so long? Because it's like there is a there is a crazy level of concentration that you would have to have to to be able to ride a motorcycle like him. Yeah, I I don't know what he thinks about or 
any of that. And when he was at Geico for, you know, that short period, I always picked his brain. 10 minutes. Like I was always, <laughs> yeah, the 10 minutes he was there. Uh, I always, I'd always ask him or, or pick his brain about stuff. You know, I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. But yeah, Dungeon's an outlier for sure. I think collectively we've almost hit our three hours. So I'm not going to torture you for too much longer. <laughs> you always go for uh, three hours or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, we always do three. I just feel like it's a, I mean, well, to be completely honest, like I just, I never really listen to any other podcast other than Rogan. So I was just like, I was just like, oh, that's just how a podcast gets done. So then when I started doing it, I was just like, I'm just going to do it the same way. Like that works. But the more yeah. that it took me a while though, to actually get, used to like mentally being able to i guess same as doing a moto you know like i kind of can yeah. time it out in a normal flow like this is fucking shit with how much it's <laughs> not not been it's like we're in the mud dude thing. we're just getting thrown all these things right now uh, oh i know but hey mud race. We're, we're making it happen though uh um, yeah but yeah you can through. like mentally kind of like pace it out so nowadays it's just it's like you do enough reps and you know you can kind of i know where yeah. we are in it um yeah but i think that the good thing about the three hours is that you can't like fake who you are in three like three hours with somebody if you do an hour interview it's not to say that you guys are faking it but you can just like be a certain way for a few hours uh, for an hour but like after a yeah. while like the you kind of have to drop the you have to drop whatever you've got going on and you just kind of like sink into it and i think that people know with this show that it is that long so i think people come yeah. with that energy from the start like they you know yeah. like you kind of so anyway um but yeah before yeah. We, were, we, were, we were talking uh about that whole like kind of that whole dunge thing and but I, I look at like that a1 vlog and like we're, we're so focused on like the pointy end of the field but there is so much crazy entertainment value like a battle that you and dino had for 14th in that main event at a1 it's like it's not respected in the way that it should be almost you know like yeah. the the, the yeah. camera just never the camera never goes there but when you when you watch like on your vlog or his vlog and you see that battle like there's some crazy entertainment there and it's like maybe maybe on the broadcast is not like the place where that footage should live but I look at our sport and uh, compared to like the NFL or the UFC and the way that they use that content of those other guys, like the best of the rest and the, you know, the battle for the mid pack in formula one. And like, man, we have like the craziest amount of content that we could show to people that is like insanely entertaining. And it's not necessarily the dudes that are winning. And I, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before you were just like, I saw that I was in P14 and I was just like gutted, you know, but yeah, that should be respected. It should be, yeah. people should know, like these guys are no joke right now. Like this, this is the gnarliest race for 14th you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And it was probably pretty, you know, it was a probably comedy watching that too. Cause we couldn't get out of our own way. You know, I'm sure <laughs> Dean would say the same thing. Like we couldn't stop making mistakes, but it's funny because, like, the suspension guy, after, I was, like, telling him some stuff. He's like, yeah. He's like, sorry, I was watching Malcolm the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, I get it. Like, you don't want to watch some guy in 13th, dude. You could watch Malcolm, who was almost winning, you know? Go for it. But, yeah, like, your eyes are fixed on one thing, but there's also chaos going on everywhere, you know? 
Yeah. Have you have you seen or like what what was your vibe at A one this year? Because, dude, the place was packed. Like it just seemed like there was the fans were going absolutely crazy. Like in the last few years, have you or like do you feel like we're trending up again? Because there was definitely a period of time where it felt like we were not trending up (laughs) not necessarily going down but we weren't like trending up you know yeah yeah i think uh this is probably the loudest a1 um and i think it's because how the track shaped up like it was impossible to not make a mistake and so everyone got to see these guys almost eating shit everywhere you know it wasn't just some picture perfect tomac railing the berms and just checking out it was like Tomac almost endowing, jumping off the track, Barsha cross running, Malcolm catching neutral. It's like it was the perfect storm for that crowd, you know? And, and like it was same with me, even though I was that far back, I was doing the same stuff. Like I was making mistakes, stalling it, jumping almost off the track, cross running. And uh, so that condition is what brought out that loudness, you know? And so, I mean, I don't hope for that kind of soil. Like I'm, I struggled in that stuff, but it brought some exciting racing. Yeah, yeah, and I guess yeah, that's what like you like we said, the people want blood <laughs> for for, yeah. for for better or worse. What well, how do you feel about I guess your your position within the sport in terms of like the character that that you or not the character, maybe like the role that that you play? Because I'm always thinking in terms of like storylines and you know like. Yeah this guy this is this great thing that this guy does over here this is this great thing that this guy does over here and it seems like from the outside that you know you're really um you're really comfortable with like the role that you play in terms of like the family man you're not trying to be flashy you're not trying to you know there's i think that yeah you're one of the guys that's like really kind of taken that role fairly seriously um, and I think that it's a pretty valuable position to play within the sport. And I think that if you look at the YouTube numbers based off, you know, like how, how your vlogs go, even compared to like your subscriber rate, like your channel yeah. is probably one of like the better channels in, in the sport. And it's, I think it's because you're like kind of giving people a look that we don't necessarily see. And I mean, I don't know, maybe some people probably wouldn't want to go down that road because they they would probably assume that's not what people want but it's like that whole yeah. like family values going to the track with your with your kids and like you're really showing like all of it and i think it it is it's quite a valuable look into um or, or i guess you set like a good example and it's like a, it's a good look yeah. at our sport yeah and it's it's cool because like my following is so much different than just the normal moto guys moto following you know mm. like I get the, I get any age, but they'll come up and ask where pages or where's Jagger, you know, like they don't ask about my writing or how I'm feeling. They're like, Oh, I follow you on YouTube. Like your last video was funny. Um, or they'll go run over to Jagger before me, you know, or like I saw a lady with, I came here to see Paige shirt and I'm just like, damn, that's crazy. Like, that's cool. Like, cause we let them into our life to that. They almost feel like they know us, you know, and that's kind of how we want it. We want it open and and we want it welcoming. And so, um, think that's kind of like my wife has, has built that and has made it into what it is today. And she's obviously carrying that little camera around and showing, you know, the shit show of our family and how we do life. And so, 
you know, we've uh, we started that like in 2015, and that's early like days, played around huh? with vlogs. Yeah, and we played around with vlogs, and if you go way back, like they're pretty shitty now, but um, we always kept doing little little things here and there, and it slowly built up, and and like our following has been pretty cool. You know, like a lot of the people have been with us from the beginning, and they saw like my injury they saw me step away from riding and they're like yeah like or the fim situation just things like that they saw it all unfold because i had it all on camera and so i love that you know like i'm not a huge guy to have a camera in my face at all times but i love the end goal of it when it's out and people yeah. get to see it you know have you so. have you seen a uh have you seen a change in the deals that you're getting and the way that you're like, does it give you any extra leverage? Like, is the juice worth the squeeze? Because when I saw when I saw that you signed the Fox deal, like, that's a huge deal to sign in the sport. Like, if you're Fox on a 450, head to toe, that's one of the bigger deals that you can get in the sport. Yeah. And when I saw that deal get signed, I was like, huh, YouTube's really paying off for CC. <laughs> and it's like, obviously, there's the on-the-bike stuff and there's the results and you like you won a championship it's not discrediting that at all but i know because it's literally my job that how valuable it is for companies and to have a guy like yourself with the following that you've got and then you double that with like the family values and the messaging it sort of looks to me like it's really starting to pay off in terms of like your career and then even where does it go from here like post racing yeah. and you know like it's it really seems like all of these things that you guys have been working on for a long time they've really started to compound and you're starting to see those results yeah and uh the fox thing was funny because they're like we're not just signing you we're signing the whole family you know and they made mm -hmm. it really well known like they wanted to interview every family member and have it all come out with all of us not just me and like Paige will post something in a fox shirt and they'll be like oh my gosh like Paige sold us sold a lot of fox stuff you know when she posted that like and i posted with fox i ain't selling anything i don't know some random shirt you know but like Paige has that following that can move stuff you know and i think brands notice that um and we have kind of like a good family bond with fox now and i hope that when i'm done racing that carries on you know and i can kind of like even if I'm working a normal job or whatever I'm doing after racing that I'm a Fox ambassador for life, you know, and just things like that. Like same with Ethica, like just a family vibe. And like, I hope that after racing, I'm still well-respected with these brands and can keep something going, you know? Is it also fun too? Because when you're, when you're a professional athlete and a supercross racer and it's like, you're getting all the shine and you're getting all the attention. And I'm sure at times it's kind of like overwhelming and sometimes just feels like a little bit over the top. And it's such like a, you've got to be so selfish in a sense to like get your job done, but you are in a family and you're in this like family unit. Does it kind of feel cool in a way that it's like you, do you know what I mean about how it can be? It can feel like kind of selfish at times. And it, it must yeah. be good that like the fam can actually kind of come along the ride and like be a bit more involved yeah this sport is so selfish already like you have to be 
so involved with yourself, like everything to be at the top of the level and win. I mean, you have to put your whole life into it and like you got to, I mean, our family's all in, we, we move across the country, you know, we're, we're doing it all and it's for my career, but it's nice to, it also takes pressure off when they're there and like, it's more of a family vibe. And I think that's where I find the joy in it. You know, it's not so serious. And, um, when you line up, obviously things change and you zone out and go into your race mode. But when you're there in the pits and you're watching your kid run around on a scooter, you know, like what I did when I was little, uh, you find that joy and you're like, all right, this is why I'm doing it. Yeah. And dude, to speak on the moving thing, like you guys have moved what six times in the last couple of, couple of years. And it's like different States yeah. and, the, and yeah. I just can't, that has to be hard with kids too. <laughs> yeah. And especially cause two of them are in full time in school now. And like I told Paige, I'm like, we're in Claremont now and we're here for two years. And I'm like, I want to stay here. Even if, you know, I sign with a different team or something happens, let's stay here. And this is where I want to raise my family, you know? So, um, it's been hectic cause we went from California, signed with star, went to Tallahassee one year there signed with Husky went to Claremont, which is just South, but we've had to buy and sell houses and luck, you know, we've gotten lucky with buying and selling. We haven't, you know, lost money. And, um, but man, it's still a lot, you know, three kids, a dog and, uh, yeah, it's hectic for sure. Oh, dude, I can't even imagine how, what place or like what state have you in all the places that you've moved? Like, is there a place that really feels like home or are you not even chasing that you're just like kind of wherever's the best for racing yeah um i mean california still feels like home to me like i'm born and yeah. raised here and you know born and raised in san diego and then i spent a lot of time in temecula and then we obviously lived here for a long time so whenever we come back here like this is home but claremont i could see like raising a family like florida is kind of it's more chill. It's not as hectic as California. And, um, I can see us being there for a long time. So, um, but I am a dirt bike racer and I have ADD and, uh, you never know. Cause we just pick up and leave. <laughs> and, uh, Paige has been very good at that lately. She's, uh, she's ready for my moves and ready to, uh, you know, get up and go whenever it's time. Dude, it sucks how weird California gets because as far as States go, like when I lived there, I used to get up every day and I'd drive to Oceanside to surf. And then you could go mountain biking from like, cause I was yeah. in Murrieta for most of it. And then it's like, if you live in Murrieta, you can go mountain biking right there. The trails are sick. There's like heaps of cool people around. The food's awesome in California. You can go snowboarding on the weekend in the winter at the same time that you're, you know, can go dirt bike, right? Like, it's such a crazy, beautiful state. And then if you want to get in the car and go for a drive, you can be in the desert. You can be in like the, the redwoods. Like it's such a crazy, cool state. And it just seems like there's just so many kooks running it that it's just like ruined. It's like ruined the best place. It does. It's like if you're born and raised here, you love it. But like you get RJ who's from Florida. He hates it here. You know, yeah, and yeah. it's just like the traffic, the people are mean, like everyone's in a rush or, you know, things like that. But, 
it's where everyone wants to be. You know, I think California is a place to be, but uh, you're seeing Florida kind of change and, and become more of like for moto, like you're seeing more tracks pop up in Florida and it's, and you're seeing tracks go away in California, which is pretty sad, but you're seeing it kind of shift that way and you're seeing more riders come out of the East coast. And I think that's cool too. Yeah. Well, the East coast is the East coast. I mean, it's America's just a crazy country in the fact of, the diversity that's there i mean america yeah. could be europe you know to where it's like <laughs> you've got france and you've got italy and you've got it's like all these the you know instead of countries you guys have states but i mean it is that different like if you drive across america god man you're in you're in different countries like every single place that that you go and you know when you go to when you go to like louisiana to, to compared to <laughs> california it's just like that's a that's a different place, man. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine, like, for you traveling in like around the states, you know, it's it's so much different. Like, I've spent so much time in Texas, Louisiana, now Florida, Minnesota, you know, like bouncing around in it, and then you travel for racing. I mean, you start getting used to all those different cultures and and how it works, and um, it's cool though. You know, like I I went to. Uh, New Zealand one year and we had to fly to Australia first for the layover. I've always wanted to go to Australia and spend some time, but I just haven't yet. But then I went to New Zealand for one of the races in 2018, I think it was. And, uh, what race was it? It was so much. It was one of the, uh, forgot Oz X's. No, was it the Oz Oh, X's? you did it. You did yeah. one of those New Zealand ones. Yeah. Yeah. So Wait, what? I was at both of those, and yeah. I don't remember that. It was like a open stadium, and it rained in 2018, and then ended up being okay. Remember that? Who'd you ride for? Were you there? Uh, Geico. I was. Dude, I was fucking there. I completely don't remember I won you the, at that race. <laughs> I won the fast lap thing, the hot lap, like the what is it? You throw it on a fast lap. The su- super pole, yeah. Yeah, so I won the Super Bowl, and then it was a triple crown, and I went like five, three, four, or something for fourth. But um, yeah, it was so much fun. Like going so to cool, where huh? that tower is. There's yeah. like that tower, and yeah. we stayed right next to it. And uh, I, it was just me. Like I wish I brought Paige or some some family, but it was so much fun. Like I enjoyed it, you know. So I want to go back there and you know, kind of almost do like that Brayton. Yeah. career you know when i get a little bit older and, and travel more um he's kind of found that happy medium and what works with his family and uh you know that would be fun to do yeah dude he he's got the model like he's he's really he dialed it in but before this podcast actually i was i was wondering if you had much to do with jb because i feel like he's an he's a guy that i feel like you and him would really get along yeah no i we're not super close, but we do talk here and there. And um, I always respected him and, and, you know, asked if I have any questions, I'm always, you know, I'll go talk to him. But um, obviously a career like that uh, he's expanded for a long time and he's doing it the right way. I think, you know, if like you love racing and, you know, you want to have fun, go do what he's doing. Yeah, well, it's cool too because I think he kind of like changed the narrative, you know, like you go through – 
you go through that period where there's like Ricky retiring and then James retiring and then Villo retiring and then Dunge retiring. It was almost, it almost just like mentally set 27 as the age where you can't, like you can't race a dirt bike anymore. And then it's like JB pretty much shifted that like 10 years. And he did it in such yeah. a, he did it in such a good way to where uh, he, I guess like minimize the risk, minimize the things that he didn't like all the negatives that you could kind of like point to over like a long career in Supercross, like the, the toll on your body and the, the long yeah. season of Supercross and outdoor. Like he just kind of like took the cream of like all the good bits that you could kind of do. And as a result of, you know, the last five years of his career, I think he's literally changed the perception of all of you guys as to like what's possible you know, like I don't have to retire at 27. Like, you know, you, you've said yeah. a couple of times, like my, I'm 30, I'm 30. It's like, yeah, well, 30 is a new 20 in motocross and supercross yeah. right now. You know, like you look at all the guys that are, that are doing it. And that's been my big plus of the whole world supercross thing is just like, regardless of what anyone thinks and regardless of how blah, 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 like played out conversation, but that's 40 dudes that have rides. Like there's 40 gates yeah. that need to be filled and there's, 40 guys that know how to ride supercross that are going to get to ride supercross as a result of of this new series you know and then you just add in like that that traveling aspect of it and getting to especially for someone like you with a youtube channel the way that you've got it it's like you've got this global fan base now and yeah. it's like you want to go talk to those people you know yeah it'd be fun to travel with take one or two of the kids you know like and the wife to go spend a week in australia or you know i've i've done the bercy i've done geneva but it was always like the in and out trips you know so yeah to go and enjoy it and sightsee a little bit like that's kind of like the brayton way you know, like he goes and spends the the time down there and, and enjoys it all so i think that you know i i love dirt bike so much that i want to keep this going and i want to stay you know as long as i'm competitive i'm going to keep doing it you know and if that's that's the plan at least so we'll see but yeah um we'll keep racing yeah yeah no nah, and and i'm glad that a guy like jb came along and kind of like challenged that narrative in a sense because i'm sure there's a lot of people man like e dude even hill like yeah how does how crazy is his second supercross career going like he's flying all around the world and he's got you know with monster like he's doing shoots yeah. in the countries that he's going to and it's like no one it's like no one expects him to win now no one expects but like we're all stoked that he's there and i just feel like yeah you know before guys like jb it just it, it wasn't that wasn't how the tail end of guys careers went yeah yeah so i think you're seeing like obviously tomac's 30 now and Anderson, I think, is thirty, and I mean, I mean, Chase is Chase and Jed are probably the you know the youngest guys that are gonna come up and challenge these guys. But um, yeah, it's trending older, so I think uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, dude. Well, hey, we've done four hours to do three hours, <laughs> but, uh, but man, I've I've uh, I've really really enjoyed chatting to you. I'm uh, I'm stoked. Paige sent me that message. It was really great timing um and yeah i'm i'm pumped that that we got to do this one and that uh yeah people will get to i guess know a little bit about more about your story and 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 what you've gone on so i've really enjoyed it man 
yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do this one when you're back in, uh, in the States. Keen, bro. I'm working on it. I'm, uh, Dude, A1 honestly just made me so keen to be in the stands in yeah. Supercross race again. Like, it's just, there's something about it, eh? Like, A1 has yeah. its own mystique and its own energy. And, uh, and yeah, I think that, yeah, dude, that next year will be crazy as well. Like, can you imagine if Hayden races West Coast next year and there's, like, a, a... Bro, what's, what's that going to be like? Just his first... Like, I guess this year will probably be, like, his first Supercross, but... Like his first A yeah. one, like you'd have to think they're selling some extra tickets. Oh, for sure. And I, I think it's either gonna, he's either gonna dominate or he's gonna suck yard sale. <laughs> you know, he's like there's not gonna be an in between. He's going there to win or crash. You know, so that's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah, and uh, and I think that yeah, the fans will the fans will be here for all of it. That's for sure. And it's crazy yeah. when you've got someone that like. So many people want to see win and so many people want to see lose. Like that's the recipe. Yeah. If you could if you could actually just boil sport down as to like who's important in sport, you basically go, the people that are important are the ones who got heaps of people that want to see them lose and heaps of people that want to see them win. Yeah. Yeah. And I deal with a lot of I mean, I, I it's on a smaller frame than Hayden, but a lot of people that want to see me fail and a lot of people that are, you know, with me. So it's just part of it. It's the sport we're in. And I think it's, it's every sport, you know, it's not just dirt bikes. I just, it's, it's crazy to me that somebody could like, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe if people would listen to this and like change their opinion, but I just, I just couldn't picture like knowing what you've been through as a dude and then like not wanting you to do well, you know? Like it's just yeah. fucking hell. You've 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 earned you've earned everything that that you've got in the sport, and it's like you you really should be able to enjoy it without too much hate. You just gotta ignore the the negativity, you know. I think there's a lot more positive, but it's easy to focus on that one comment that's negative, you know. But we uh, just try to have fun with it and uh, keep it going. So. Uh, San Diego's coming out, uh, coming up. They'll probably be been and gone by the time that this comes out, though. What can people expect from Christian Craig at San Diego? Are we, are we getting, you've had some good races at San Diego. You're from San Diego. Yeah, and this is where the old Qualcomm Stadium was. So some history. There's a new. It's a new stadium yeah. where we're racing in, but it's in the same you know structure as Qualcomm. So it's gonna be interesting. Um, Oh, so they're be not, like so they've gone, they've gone back to Qualcomm yeah. this year. Yeah, right. Petco was cool. But the it's fact a new that stadium. It was like in town. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, Petco was cool. It's just the pits were a little hectic. It and was then, a shit um, show. Yeah, yeah. But this is a new stadium, um, so we'll see how it goes. But I don't know. I just want to put myself in a good position and see if I can battle with these guys, you know, and be up front for a little bit we'll see nah it'd be cool man well uh yeah definitely be cheering for you this weekend i appreciate you uh appreciate you coming on won't be the last time uh won't be the last time that we do it and uh yeah good luck for the weekend brother thanks man appreciate it